degrees. It's Indianapolis Center. Do you have any test operation to restricted area 2508? Area 31, Roger. Traffic is quite luminous and is exhibiting some non-ballistic motion. Over. Roger, Area 31. Continue to send at your discretion. Over. Okay, Center. The traffic is approaching head-on, ultra right, and really moving. They're right by us right now. There are a thousand UFO sightings reported around the world every month. Ninety percent of these sightings can be explained, but ten percent cannot. Officially and unofficially, the U.S. military has been investigating UFOs since 1947. Their top secret goal is to find out what's behind these unexplained sightings. The Pentagon classifies them as unusual airborne anomalies, but a better term is X-Files. Join us now as Mac Wanwan and Commander Cobra explore these unsolved cases, UFO incidents that baffle even the U.S. military. This is Mac Maloney's Military X-Files. And now, here's Mac Maloney. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Mac Maloney's Military X-Files show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. Hey, we have a very special all-music show for you tonight. Let me introduce the co-conspirators. Girls, he's here on an off night. Get your fan, get your mister, get your big box of Kleenex, your big box of wipe, your squeegee and your lube. His very famous Juan Juan is here. Juani. You betcha. Hello, Mac. Hello, girls. Welcome to the show. It's going to be a fun night tonight. Special music show. Special music show. I love these. Me too. How are things over there in Old Hampshire? Well, um, we're cracking on, as they say in the pubs, you know. We're, we're, we're doing okay. If the uh, government would just leave us alone, everything would be fine. Really? Yeah, you're already complaining yeah. about the government. You've been there about a year. Yeah, uh, they, they got rid of the... Uh, the woman who ran the home office that's like uh, the home office to the uk is like uh secretary of state oh okay yeah hmm. well huh she's kind of important and uh, she's gone and and now you're unhappy no we're happy oh you're happy she's a okay woman. yeah wow i was just gonna say if you said get cracking in an american bar it would make some you know make completely different uh have a completely different meaning right. it's, yeah the phrase is Crack on. Even even more so. It was a tense. <laughs> uh, let me introduce first. Um, thank you, Juan, for joining us. Sure. In the studio thank with you. us is someone uh, who rarely comes on the show, though she's been on the show several times now the past month. The very famous, the very lovely Lois Lane. Lois. Hi, everybody. It's nice to be here. How are you? Hi, Lois. Let me clear Hi, that. Juan. Let me clear that Hello. camera shot for you. Okay. Uh, how are you tonight, Lois? I'm doing great, thanks. Mm -hmm. You were kind of like a, a roadie there, helping uh, with our uh, musical setup. Yep, setup. Yep. yep. Like I was that. definitely in the roadie position today. My drum tech. Wow. <laughs> also, another joke there somewhere. Are you in the union there, Lois, to be doing mm -hmm. this kind of stuff? If not, no, just helping Mark. Okay, that's what they all say. <laughs> um, in the uh, also in the studio with us is the very famous no belly button man known. Uh, well, aptly as Mike Pullen. Mike, how are you doing? Good. <laughs> Good. Thank you. Nice to be here. Well, it's three people hey, in a two-mic studio. All right, and you're going to be cutting the act, as uh, Shaggy Green used to say, right? That's right. Okay. Instead of using my little $2 uh, sound effects machine, got a real drum in there. What are those, Ludwig drums? This is a, yeah, superphonic snare. Oh, really? Okay. Just uh, give it a try. Let's see what the meter says, okay? Sabian... Okay, pretend I, I just said something funny. Yeah, yeah, try it yeah. again. 
Pretending. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, that's all right. I think, Should it be three or two? I think two. <laughs> I think two is plenty. I'm going to do two again. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> also with us, up in another part of New Hampshire, Barry Winnick, a.k.a. Oh, I won't even say it because he's embarrassed by the character he used to play on the show. So I'm going to spare you that, my friend. Barry Wedding, how are you doing, Barry? I, I am doing just fine, the Mac, and uh, thanks for having me back on. Uh-huh. Okay. He's, he, he's, he fancies himself a musical expert, and we've had a few uh, you know, showdowns on Zoom, uh, mostly Beatles stuff. And at one point, I was beating him, and um, – it was close, but I was beating him, and the, and the power went out right before the last crucial question. And he still to this day doesn't believe that it happened, but it's true. Lois, correct? It absolutely happened that way. She was there. Yeah. And you know what? You why know is, what? Yeah. I have a feeling that she wouldn't say anything other than that. No, that's not. Oh, wow. Oh. I wouldn't lie. I would not lie. Wow. No, 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 but there's a little pressure going on. No, there. there's I'm no pressure saying. at all. You know? If it wasn't the okay. truth, there'd be, there'd be, you know, not pressure, but, you know. Thank you, Barry. All right. Um, and I did beat you anyway. That you'll never believe it. That part I might not be sure of, but wow. we definitely oh. lost power. A two, Lois. Really? Mm-hmm. Just, <laughs> let's move on. It's going to be exciting tonight with those two going. On. Listen, we have a special guest to you, a good friend, Matt Malley, out there in uh, L.A. How you doing, Matt? Let's clap hey. for him. Hey. Oh. Recovering oh. rock show. What are, what are you? You're a recovering rock star. Is that what you said? It, it, it was it was once retired, but now it's recovering. I'm a recovering rock star. Okay. All right. We're counting grows for a lot of years, like 14 years at least, right? Yeah, 14 years. Okay. All right. People would kill to be a rock star, Matt. You know that? Thank you, once. Thank right. you. Right. There's a good way to – the cup is half full when I look back. Is it I really? Know. Yeah. I know. I know. Is it worth killing for? Is the lifestyle worth killing for? Yeah, it's not what you think. I'm here to tell you. Mm-hmm. You're, it's a lot of bus driving and uh, sleepless uh, sleep deprivation and mm-hmm. lights on you with, uh, you know, 4,000, 20,000 people and then get back on the bus and do it again. Yeah, yeah. Over and, over. Right. and that would be fun for about three months. But after 10 years, it, yeah. it starts to, it's like Chinese water torture. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it never changes, I'm, I'm assuming. It's, it's just because of, it sounds very routine because just that's how those things, those tours are. You got to be here. You got to be there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's a machine. You're just in a machine. Pink machine. Floyd got it right with that. What's that song off "Wish You Were Here" where Roy Harper sings it? Um, uh, the, uh, we call it right in the gravy train. It, it's that song oh, right. is about oh, right. exactly about being in a rock. Yeah, yeah, just mm-hmm. in a gravy train. You know. Right. Yeah. Now I can remember it. But if you're the and you've met the Rolling Stones, right? Yeah. Okay. Now they are they're in a met different. Them. Hung out with them for crying out. Hung out with them. Hung out. Yeah. They're in a different stratosphere. They're in a different kind of strata than I mean. They they just fly to they just fly right. Yeah, they, they could not have been nicer. And it, it dawned on me that when you're at the top of the mountain, you've got nothing to hide, nothing to defend. Mm. You don't have to be a jerk. And they were just could not have been nicer people. Wow, that's good to hear. Mm. Um, yeah, that's good to hear. Did, yeah. Didn't you tell us once though that when they would when they would tour the United States, when they all just they, they'd basically just go to Chicago and just fly back to Chicago every night or something? Yeah, they'd fly a private jet. So 
their gear would go from wherever Indianapolis down to New Orleans. The band would fly back to their literally their probably three month long hotel stint in Chicago, probably an entire floor. I don't know what. And they would just fly private to every gig all around the middle of America. It was it was awesome to watch. Wow, that's crazy. They didn't, they didn't hang out in the cities they were going to play in. They would uh, Chicago oh. was. Hey, yep. You get on the bus, you get on the plane. You know what I mean. You got to be yeah. somewhere the next night. So, but it's just funny that they go and sleep in Chicago and then get up and just, you know, fly yeah. out somewhere. That's it. You're you're right. You're on top of the mountain. What the yeah. hell? Why not? You know. So yeah. our first. Oh. Money is yeah. no object. And who cares? Oh, no. Exactly. Exactly. And I, we flew private a couple of times. I think America Online had us do a corporate gig for them in Idaho. And I'm here to tell you that flying private, when you see how those people live, we you literally drive out to a local airport. They, they walk you out onto the tarmac, take your luggage, you get in the plane and go. Mm. And we flew, listen, we left at three in the afternoon from my house, went to the Van Nuys Airport, which is a half hour away. Played a gig in Idaho and was back home by 10 p.m. Wow, you know, <laughs> that's California. weird. Yeah, that, wow. that's how uh, that's how Brad Pitt lives. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Huh. Wow, awesome. that's when being a rock star, I guess, isn't quite so bad if you can get. Uh, yes, like my wife always always says, "Well, the Rolling Stones don't have it so bad. All I got to do is show up. Well, the roadies have to do the work. Look at you. You spent six six days setting up for Steel Wheels." And all mm. they, the Stones had to do was show up. Yes. And play. <laughs> and play. Lois had a question. Lois, please. I was just going to say, our first trivia question could be, can you name the title of that Pink Floyd song? Mm. Um, I can hear it in my head. Yep. Well, let's go around the circle and see. Do you know the name there, Lois? Of course I do. Oh, how do you, you're, she's a big Pink Floyd fan, apparently. No, I, actually, I don't like Pink Floyd at all. <laughs> I just know the song. Um, did we start the show yet? <laughs> I, I, um, Does anybody want to wager a guess? What's the name of the album? No, the song. He was looking for the title. I think it's, isn't that Gravy Train? It's that or have a cigar? Is it have a cigar? I was going to say that. Have it is cigar. have a cigar. Have a cigar. Matt yes. wins. Yes. One right. point for Matt. Okay, all right. And well, Mark. Have a cigar. Excellent. You'll have to split that one point. <laughs> anyway, so um, we just uh, hang around here tonight. We're going to be talking music. We have a bunch of, I just have a bunch of fun facts and, you know, some questions, trivia questions, and just ask the opinion of everybody of certain bands and certain performers and stuff. But... What we're going to do is start off the show, as we always do, with a top 10, top 10 list, read by Lois tonight. Lois, do you have it? Of course I do. Of course she does. I do. Are we jumping right into that? uh, Yes. I think it is the top 10 reasons why the Stones have asked Juan Juan to join the band, okay? We just heard the news today. Top 10 reasons why the Stones have asked Juan Juan to join the band, please start the music. Lois, number 10. Get ready, Mark. <laughs> number 10. He can get the Coke. <laughs> it's very important. Again? <laughs> Again. Yes, I'll have a six pack of Coke, please. That's it. Number nine, please, Lois. Number nine. I don't know how I get myself into these things where I have to say stuff like this, but he it? can get the hookers. He can get the hookers. <laughs> I can't That's believe she read that. Okay. <laughs> a few connections. Okay, right. She's the same person as it turns out. Number eight, please. You use the pub connections. You go to the pub and you go into the men's room and then you, you see what, who's on the list. 
<laughs> oh, oh, okay, is that another weird British uh, custom on a what list? It's a throwback from, uh, you know, Alexander the Great. That's how he did it. Oh, I see. Okay, good to know. Uh, let's see. Uh, number number eight. Number eight. Most. Number eight is he has vast experience touring with superstars as documented in his 2,000-page single-spaced opus, Why Rock Needs Me. Yeah, I'm still working on that opus. Part one. That's only part one. <laughs> Next, please. Let's – we can – I'll read this in line, Lil' Oz. Okay. Um, number seven, the last time Mick stopped by, he fell in love with Winston the Hedgehog, and that was it. <laughs> a little inside, but okay. It's a good one. Next, please. <laughs> he knows CPR. Think about it for a second. Think about it for a second. He knows CPR. They're 80-year-old guys running around the stage. CPR, I'm like, oh, thank hey, you. Thank I got you. it right away. CPR. I didn't need a pause. Okay. Next, please. <laughs> I also carry oxygen. That's true. Okay, we are on number five of the top ten reasons why the Rolling Stones have asked Juan Juan to join the band. Number five is he has a quote-unquote special in with one with their new opening act, Prince Andrew and the Sticky Bears. <laughs> <laughs> also inside in the long road for the joke, but uh, next, yeah, please. I, I don't get that one at all. Prince Andrew yeah, and the Sticky All you have to do is Google Prince Andrew and Sticky Bears. You'll understand. Good. He has a collection of them, 72 of them, do I want which he to? dresses up every day. Whoa. Uh, next, please. <laughs> okay, number four. He already knows three chords and is working on a fourth. There you go. Yes. Okay. All of them in open G, by the way. <laughs> Next, please. <laughs> okay, um, number three, five words. A little T and A? A little T and A. A little T and A, yeah, absolutely. Um, Very inside. I don't even know what that means. It, 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 okay. Keith Richards wrote a song about his, his two daughters. Uh, what's, what are the daughters' names? Theodora and Alexandra. Theodora and Alexandra. Oh, oh. That's sweet. Is that what well, that's about? Well, a lot of people misinterpret the title. But next, please. Huh. Lois. Okay. We're almost there. Number two. Someone has to play the... Say it. We'll bleep it. Leaping tambourine. Someone has to saying. play the f***ing tambourine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and the please. Number one reason the Stones asked Juan Juan to join the band... No. Oz, I no. thought we were waiting for a drum roll. Yeah, do the drum <laughs> roll. It's going to cost oh, us no. more. No. I meant a real drum roll. Uh, number <laughs> one is Ozzy Osbourne turned them down. Okay, well, good thing about that is it didn't take too long. So why don't we they, do this, though? Why don't we they take couldn't, a, They couldn't have done anything with Ozzy Osbourne. He's, he's old hat. Ever meet him, Matt? Ever, ever meet that circus? No, no, never met him. Yeah. Never met him at all. Yeah, there's a video on um, YouTube. It's probably 20 years old, maybe, maybe a little. And it's the first time McCartney met Ozzy Osbourne. They had never met, and he met. And, and Ozzy's all over. Ozzy's like, oh, the other reason I'm in music and stuff. And McCartney's like, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. I'm sure he meets thousands of people like that. But you would think those two would have crossed paths in the first 40 years, you know? But they didn't. You think everyone in rock, everyone. Hollywood, everyone thinks that everyone knows each other, but that's not necessarily the case. Oh. 
who have you met? I mean, you, uh, Matt, just before we go to break, you've talked about this before, but you've met some, you know, you used to tell us about the um, frat house rock that kind of came up when you guys were big. Yeah, the 90s were, uh, uh, I don't look at the 90s as a particularly excellent time for music in general. You know, everyone was getting their major label deals. It was the go-go 90s, you know, and that whole grunge thing, I, I, I didn't relate to very well, even though they were exactly of my age. You know, I was born in 63 and the whole grunge from Seattle that happened uh, just didn't feel like uh, like something I liked. You know, mm -hmm. it felt guttural and simple and uh, sloppy on purpose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sloppy on purpose. And uh, so it's the 90s, you know. But I'm sorry, what was your original question? So, so you, you, but you met up with, with like these Hootie and the Blowfish guys, and they would, they they um, ran into the same lifestyles. Or you were into it for spiritual reasons, you're into it for musical reasons, and they were just kind of in it with, for the for the chicks and booze, right? So. Yeah, the frat boy thing. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I didn't make a good uh, band member in the '90s because I I wasn't into that. Uh, you know, I was the guy that went to India, and which was cool in the '60s. But by the nine by the nineties, everyone looked at me as like a just a, a simpleton. Why would I go to India and expect to find something? <laughs> you know, so wow. In the nineties, it wasn't cool to go to India. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Was, in the sixties, in the sixties, it was. In fact, on YouTube, there's a um, uh, an interview with a guy. I think his name is Paul Saltzman, and he just by weirdness uh, wound up in the same ashram as the Beatles did in '68 in India. Became good friends with them, took pictures of them, but but his stories are uh, – he took 40 pictures. And he says, I became friends with them, so I didn't want to take pictures of them anymore. And so that's why there isn't very many. But he has some good stories about their relationships, the kind of kind of people they were. He really kind of saw them on a, a level level, if you know what I mean. Interesting. Paul yeah. Saltzman is his name. Wow. wow. Um, so why don't we do this? Why don't we take a break now, regroup? And we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Mac Maloney's Military Exile Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. Very special musical show. Please stay tuned. We've all heard of Area 51, the U.S. government's top secret base in the Nevada desert. But have you ever heard of Area 52 or 53 or 54? 54? 54? How about Tonopar Test Range or the Navy's secret base inside the Bermuda Triangle? Find out about them and more in Mac Maloney's Beyond Area 51, Mysteries of the World's Most Forbidden Places. Did Richard Nixon show Jackie Gleason a crashed alien spaceship near the swamps of Florida? Is it true that more UFOs are seen over a small Scottish village than anywhere else in the world? And is there a secret place in Russia that some people think is heaven on earth? In Mac Maloney's Beyond Area 51, you'll visit more than a dozen top secret places around the globe. The haunted forests of New Jersey, a valley in Colorado where shadows come alive and humans can fly without wings. And where's the only secret base in America that's not been visited by UFOs? You've heard Mac talk all about these places on his radio show. Now you can read all about them yourself. That's Mac Maloney's Beyond Area 51, Mysteries of the World's Most Forbidden Places. Now on sale at Amazon.
Welcome back, everyone, to Mac Maloney's Mill Tracks. Our show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. This is a special all-music show for you tonight. Let me introduce the members of the Posse. Girls, one one is here. Hello, Mac. Hello, girls. Welcome back to the show. Also, our good friend up there in uh, the other part of New Hampshire, Barry Winnig. Barry, a.k.a. Dribbles and Hunt. How are you doing, Barry? Yeah, I'm doing just fine. Beetle Mac. expert. Nice talking to you. Um, Matt Malley, our good friend out there. Matt Malley. You know, how long have we known each other, Matt? Matt Malley of uh, Counting Crows, basically. How long? We've known each other at least 10 years, 10, 12 years? Yeah, 10 to 12 years, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, gosh. Wow. Okay. Cool. And I mispronounced yeah. your name more than half of the, those years, probably, right? Why didn't you just correct me? Yeah, well, you just call me Matt, so you know you very awesome. rarely say have to say my last name. Now, you yeah. told me, too, that you, you, you also have a dual Irish citizenship? Yes, proudly I do. I, I have an Irish passport and dual citizenship. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So grandparents emigrated. Okay. Excellent. Okay. Yeah, X, who was on uh, mistakenly earlier in the show, he's the guy who had the Irish dual citizenship, but because of me, they made him, they made him give it up. Okay. I think I might have told you that story. He, he had to go for a security check every three or four years, and he put me down as – his security check. So they come out to your house and they just ask you a bunch of questions. I'd done it a couple times. And the last question they asked me as they're leaving was, why does he go to Ireland so much? And I says, well, I think he has a dual citizenship. And they said, well, you know, a lot of people have that, but they don't go over there a couple times a year. So I said, well, his family owns a castle over there, which they do. They did. did they did. Okay. Well, they made him give up his dual citizenship. Because it's his security clearance, because the family used to own a castle, and that was the only reason. So by the time he caught up with me, he says, Yeah, thanks a lot, a hole. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Yeah, well. Anyway, also in the studio with us tonight, no belly button man? Yes. On um, the drums, cutting the act, as they say. That's cutting the act, is right. Okay. And yeah. also the lovely Lois Lane. Lois. Hi, everybody. It's nice to be here. So I'm just going to throw out a few things, just talking purely about music tonight. And um, I just want to throw a couple things out. We were talking about the Beatles earlier um, and, and watching that guy's uh, YouTube um, video about how he just wound up. He was, he was this age, too. He was 22 years old. He was Canadian. His girlfriend had left him, so he had to go find himself, and he went to this ashram. And while they were there, they wrote 42 songs, and a lot of them wound up on the White Album, as it turns out. Mm. So the question is, how long did they stay in the ashram? Is the summer of '68? Okay. Well, it's open-ended. It's not going to be multiple choice. No, no, no. This isn't a. It's not a trivia. You can just who knows. I was surprised oh. when I heard the answer. Just take a guess. It's not as long as probably we think. They wrote 42 songs. Hmm. Want to guess? Four weeks. Four weeks. Eight it, was, it wasn't even a year. It was like no, a no, eight weeks. No. Eight, eight weeks. Eight weeks. Yeah. All right, couple of, until John got irritated allegedly at something the Maharishi did. Well, Ringo was the first to leave because his wife had a bug phobia. She had a real problem with the bugs there, and he had to, you know, sanitize the hut every night before you know she didn't kind of get sleep, and he had stomach troubles, and the food didn't. Uh, really agree with him. So he left, and then a week later, the rest of them left. And I think they were scheduled to leave then, but they did leave on this kind of bad note because they accused the Maharishi of hitting on Mia Farrell's sister, um, who was uh, the 
subject of Dear Prudence, the song. But um, there's some controversy whether any of that ever happened to. So, hmm. yeah, but an interest, interest that they went literally up in the Himalayas um, close to them and write an entire double album in two months. So, Matt, when you went to India, where did you go? Uh, I've been to Delhi, Nagpur, Mumbai, Jaipur. Uh, I've been up in the low Himalayas in a city called Dharamsala, which mm. is about a 10,000 feet mm. uh, north of Delhi. And I've been all around. I haven't been to South India or Calcutta. Okay. Uh, but it, it's a. Have, have any of you guys ever been there? Any guys or girls? No, no. What's it mm-hmm. like? It's a shock the first time you go. The when the plane door opens and the heat comes in and the smells and the and the poverty level, but then you start to settle in there, and your relationship with matter starts to relax. Like they don't paint a building unless unless I mean they just don't paint a building. And the and if a car is working, it doesn't have to be in perfect shape. Like here, if somebody keys your car. You you can't sleep that night, <laughs> but their relationship with matter is so much healthier. You know, just... uh, you realize you've been sort of duped. I realize I've been duped to thinking everything has to be in perfect condition around me. You know, and that was my one of my first lessons of India. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And seeing seeing how even though there's poverty, people are st- still decent and and in a way happier. You mm-hmm. know? Um, Very cerebral people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the they food are. is tremendous. The food six, six, four, six thousand years in the making. Four thousand, six thousand. Uh, so they got it dialed in by now. Yeah, so, yeah, so. yeah. Wow. Yeah. But, yeah. but, but, but it's obvious they do have, at the very least, an overpopulation problem, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's way over a billion now. It was a billion in the nineties. Mm. Probably getting to do two billion. So the the poverty is shocking, you know. Uh, but again, it it's it's a, you got to see it if you get a chance. Yeah, yeah. Just go, go to Delhi. Uh, Delhi's got a McDonald's, so it's the kind of a gateway from the really? West. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take care of them, right? Wow, huh? Interesting. A McDonald's. Hmm. Um, okay, Do so they serve hamburgers at McDonald's? I thought beef was a, a a problem as far as eating it. That's if you're. I think if you're Hindu. Or if you, I don't know, there's half vegetarians and half not, and but they're yeah, very spicy. Yeah. You can't get rid of the spice. You you have a McDonald's hamburger and it's gonna burn your mouth because okay. that's just there. Yeah, right. And, uh, hmm. there, there's a little music store in Delhi that I would frequent in the '90s, and uh, in the foyer when you come into this music store is a picture of the owner with the Beatles selling <laughs> George Harrison his first sitar. Wow. Huh? Called Ricky Roms in Delhi, and then you look over and there's the same guy, a little bit older now, and he's sitting behind his desk, smiling at you, and going, "Yeah, that's me," you know, handing George a sitar. And the Beatles are looking like they do on Beatles Six, and they're just all standing around him, getting the first sitar, and it's just mind blowing. Wow, that is wow, that is crazy. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let me just throw another thing out here. We're talking about the Beatles. Uh, true or false? John Lennon hated cats. Oh, no, that's false. He was a cat person. False, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, he he loved cats. Loved cats. He was definitely a cat person. He also used to travel with. 
his um, what they used to call those um, motor track things that kids had the little race car slot racing. Remember slot racing? Mm-hmm. Sure, I do. Yeah, he had a yeah. he had a huge slot racing setup that he would set up uh, in a lot of places. He brought it with him for the Ed, Ed Sullivan show, and uh, yeah, set it like up in his hotel wheels? room. I don't know what's yeah, like. like um, they were kind of electrically powered race yeah. cars that would go like an Aurora set, right? Like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of all the things, yeah, you learn you learn the hard way. By the way, mm-hmm. not to take the curves too fast, right? Yeah, yes. yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you wind up smashing the car against the wall. And he so. brought that whole setup in in pieces and set it up. Yeah, in yep. Hotel room doesn't sound, doesn't sound like him, but yes, it and does um, sound like just here in the notes. Wow. Ever hear the story about? Um, Kyle Palmer's drum set, Kyle Palmer's, uh, Kyle Palmer from ELP. And no, I remember Lake and Palmer. Uh, yep. And uh, when Probably, they were... Uh, what, Atomic Rooster? Uh, yeah, originally and... Um, I got a couple of Atomic Rooster albums. I remember those back in like 70, 71, 72. Right. And wasn't he, he was in Asia too, I think. Wasn't he the drummer for Asia? Yeah, yeah, he was. So anyway, so when ELP was at the height of their powers... The, they were just about to start an American tour, and the British Steel Corporation or whatever came to him and they said, we would like to sponsor, we would like to build you a drum set for you to take on the road. It'd be all steel, and um, you know, and you can just, it's a good promotional thing for us. <clears throat> so he says, yeah, sure, why not? So at this time he had like about 40 drums and huge setup. And they called him once and they said, what what width do you want the steel on the drums? What width? Do you want it a half inch? Do you want it a quarter inch, an eighth inch? He's, he's thinking, well, what do I know? So he told them a half inch, and the thing like came out to weigh 18 tons. And <laughs> they needed their whole, they needed like separate track, the trailer tracks just to haul the drums around for their tour. I think it's probably 72 or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a funny guy. He he's the guy who, once again, there's a really good documentary on ELP on YouTube. Has some years on it, but he's kind of like the narrator. He says, "I'm the guy who stood in the middle of those two nuts." You know, Keith Emerson and Greg Lake. Greg Lake. Yep. So, uh, anyway, both may they rest in peace. They're awesome uh, players. Um, yeah. Our friend Mike Poolin here has been accused of sounding like Greg Lake. Is it? <laughs> Yep, Greg Lake has like one of the best rock voices, in my opinion. Didn't someone once oh, tell yeah. you? Yeah, real rich. Get right on that thing. Get right yes. on the pipe there. Very full, rich voice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Almost yeah. like you're strained. Almost. Uh, let's see. So sing for us. Let's hear it. I loved, him, I loved him the most with King Crimson, but let's face it. That guy was, uh, was a good front man for any band, hmm. and he has, to, uh, for me... The best Christmas song ever. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Father Christmas. I believe it's Father, yeah, Father Christmas. Christmas. Best Christmas yeah. song ever. When I hear oh, that really? on, that's a good on, song. on the radio or Sirius XM satellite, it's like, mm. that's it. Also, um, Still You Turn Me On is a really oh, good yeah. song. Very that's well put song. together. Um, lucky Man. And yeah, lucky yeah, yeah. All of them. We yeah. saw them once uh, a long time ago in Boston Harbor. Lights and... Um, they were good. They were crazy. And and just on cue, Keith Emerson's you know, keyboard caught on fire. And they had to come out and put it out with a, you know, when anyone thought it was a bit because they used to do those things. But All right, so I'm going to go. Good. Sorry. I'm going to go around the horn here. I'm going to start with you, Matt. So what 
song do you listen to? Let's call it a guilty pleasure that we would be astonished that you actually like listen to, like an Archie song or something like that. <laughs> Never My Love by the Association. Oh, oh, that's that's yeah. beautiful. It's an awesome song. Mm. Yeah. Good song. Oh. Yeah. There you go. That's for the association. <laughs> Does that mean it's not good? No, yeah, they, yeah no, that was good. Stuff was good. <laughs> that's a beautiful wow. song. Yeah, that's nice. But excellent nice. vocalist. Mm. Right, yeah. lost a member uh, a little while ago. Really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they had some. They were big. They were yeah. big, big, big band boy in the late '60s. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the you know more. What else is it? Go ahead. You, you know, what else would get you laughed at. Walk on by by Dion Warwick. Written oh yeah, okay, oh, very well put together. Really yeah. good song. Brett Bacharach. That's beautiful. Yep, yeah. yep. She was the best interpreter of Bacharach, yeah. Bacharach music, or Bacharach David music. Yep. Ever. Yeah, I know. I know. And with that success. Spawned the uh, the British version of uh, R and B with uh, Cilla Black and Dusty Springfield, Dusty Springfield. taking on uh -huh. some of their tunes. Yeah, they, have a they, they did very well with them. Uh huh. Wow. There's a huge Dusty Springfield fan. We oh. should ask um, Barry if he has either one of those songs on his jukebox. Yeah, I'm going to ask about his jukebox. Let me, let me just yeah. I'll bring it up now. Barry has an incredible jukebox, and it's um, filled with incredible songs. What what kind of jukebox is it? For I know you were, it took you a while to rebuild it, right? Yes, it did. And and by the way, just so, just so you don't think I'm an amazing guy, uh, there was a guy. Uh, there is a man named Bob Trottier in Andover, Mass, and he's the one who actually got her working again. God knows we tried. Mm. So it's a Seaberg mm. uh, mm -hmm. AY one sixty which means it plays 80 records, two sides. It's um, 1961. It's the only thing in the house older than me, but only slightly. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> first year of stereo sound and last year of visible mechanism. And I swear to God, I don't understand why they ever made a jukebox where you could not see the record being played. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Yes. How do they turn into furniture, guys? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but they did. I don't know. But it's watching the record play, watching the, the record Sideways. be selected, brrr, yeah. grabs yes. it, puts yeah. it, it's vertical, puts it puts it horizontal, tone yeah. arm comes down, hits it right on the mark, bingo, yeah. bango. I mean, some, of them play, yeah. some of them play it's a mechanical, vertically. It's so, so mechanical, it's unbelievable. Right. How it all works. Right? I mean, to watch it work is half the fun, you know. I don't, I don't, I don't know why yeah. they would cover that up. So, so tell us <laughs> yeah. some of the uh, – I know you have a Beatles 45 from Uruguay in there, right? Yeah. Well, actually, no. I have, a, <laughs> I have a couple of albums from Uruguay. I have Abbey Rhodes from Uruguay. And um, I have Yellow Submarine soundtrack from Uruguay. But my son from Tokyo came with a couple of things from me um, that were on the Odeon label. Um, so that's Japan. He brought me um, I Feel Fine and She Loves You. Mm -hmm. That was in February. Yeah, mm. nice. Yeah, huh? Yeah, I saw somewhere uh, I saw her. She Loves You was on Swan Records here in the United States. Mm. Yes, it was. Don't By the way, the coolest. I have that. Oh, do you? I do. I have the Swan releases. I got VJ releases, 45 and LP. The, and uh, Tolly Records was uh, P.S. I Love You and Love Me Do. Mm -hmm. Got that. And you know, those are the three independent labels. That was before uh, 
Capital had a clue the, about uh, Capital woke sending up. these guys up. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. Oh. Excellent. And the Swan, the Swan record, <laughs> on, on the label it says, don't drop out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of what? School? I, I dig up the record for you. I have to go up and upstairs in the bedroom and find my don't drop out my of 45 s- cases. Of, of life? Don't drop out of life? Of Never school? Turn in. Turn up. On, tune in and drop out. Oh, that's right. Remember yeah, that? okay. Don't this, drop this out. This says don't drop out right well, on the you're, label. You're killing me. It's a DJ thing, and I swear to God, I wish I remembered what it meant. Oh, oh. I think, I think it's because of the way it ends. It doesn't. And what you would do with the next Might record. not have a fade. Yeah, might not have a fade. Yeah. Don't yeah. drop yeah. out. Hmm. That's, not what, that's not what it means on the label, though. But okay. you're right about. There's a dead hippie on the label, so. Okay. Well, yeah. What's the expression for a cold ending? Oh, yeah, cold ending. Cold yeah, ending. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Hard stop. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to throw the uh, question to Lois now, but there's nothing that she could tell us that would embarrass her. But what 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 song are you listening to that we'd be embarrassed? But Barry didn't answer that question. He just started talking about his jukebox. What's his guilty oh. pleasure? Oh, it's only a two hour show. Go ahead, oh. Barry. Okay. <laughs> All right, I don't get to answer the question. All right, so everyone in Boston's going to hate me. I am not a big Neil Diamond fan. However, what are you going to do with Sweet Caroline when it gets to the chorus? You have no choice. You end up singing. Singing, So, yes, I have a copy of Sweet Caroline on the juke right now. Mm. Okay. Whether I want to or not. Okay, in Boston, too, for those of you who don't, I know what that reference is, is that for years in the seventh inning stretch at the, at the um, Fenway Park with a Red Sox play, they would play Sweet Caroline, and, and when they got to that point, people would start singing, whoa, 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 right? Till Neil yeah. Diamond's business people got a hold of it, and they go, what the F is this? You've been playing our song for years and years and years with no royalty payments. So um, they had some kind of a controversy. They came up with some figure, and Neil Diamond donated it to some charity. And then he did come and sing the song at one time, yeah. kind of out of the blue. Yeah, yeah, he was nice about it. But see, I, I admire that guy, not because you know, he, he, made, he, he wrote a lot of great songs for himself. He wrote a lot of monkey songs and songs for other people. But he came out of the Brill Building. He was like a songwriter of the Brill Building who became an entertainer, you know, like Neil Sedaka and Carol King and those people. You know, that's the real birthplace for music. Building. It's amazing. Yeah. You know, to be you know, Sweet Caroline is sung in every – Football stadium. Yeah, somewhere, right? The U.S. calls it soccer. Football all over the place in the U.K. And Rod Stewart sang it during the uh, Queen's Jubilee. Wow, man. Oh, mm-hmm. A couple of years ago. Jeez, the royalties poor. Yeah, I said, probably. what's up with Sweet Caroline in the U.K.? Yeah, really? They don't do the, they don't do the, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. They don't, do right. the, they don't really do that part. Right. Well, we'll look at the uh, Queen song, We Will Rock You, it opens up every you know, supposedly soccer game, every hooligan soccer game in in Europe. Yeah, yeah. Some places they don't let them play it. Um, so, um, one should I? Uh, no, I'm gonna. Okay, I'm gonna ask you then, Lois, and then Mark. What's your what song would you be embarrassed by? None of them, really. Oh, knowing you. Well, okay. So a song that I is just been on my mind a lot lately because okay. I recently heard it and i love it's called it's lovely day by bill withers i think you know but that's not embarrassing you know? lovely day by who bill withers, bill yeah. withers. oh bill withers, bill withers. yeah oh, okay. i'm not yeah. from the, i probably if you. i heard it hmm. just one look at you well huh 
gonna be a lovely. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Love the version yeah. I really like of that is um, the one. I don't know if anybody saw the this um, the inauguration <clears throat> um, concert. Yeah, the most recent one. The most recent one. Um, they have this beautiful version because they had to do everything virtually, and. Um, I forgot the name of the singer who does it, but it's just a beautiful version. And the picture, you know, the video that goes with it is just lovely, all these people dancing to it. So anyway, I I kind of, I will look that up once in a while and just rewatch it. Um, But a song that would be embarrassing to tell people I like, and apparently I'm going to do that now. (laughs) I think you already have, but go ahead. (laughs) It's the song "Wake Me Up Before You Go Go." <laughs> oh, I love it! I, I love, love that because I just want to dance to it. I'm a huge it. Wham fan. <laughs> Lois, I didn't know you were a Wham fan. Well, you know. <laughs> oh it's my just, God! I have come a on, it's so it's fun, fun, right? <laughs> well, one has the T-shirt. Yeah, huh? There yeah, that's you go. Did I he can, go and get his T-shirt? For he's real? going. Wow. Let me just really quickly tell you the Bill Withers song. Do you know the Bill Withers story? You know what happened? How he became famous? No. So he was just some construction worker, a car worker, I believe. Auto worker and taught himself how to play the guitar. And at the time, there was a show on. This is really '60s now, called Room 222, and uh, it was about like an inner city, uh, you know, teachers drama. There was a woman on it. That show, by the way, her name was Denise Nichols, and she was the she was like the star, the female star. And he fell in love with her, became a musician, became you know, uh, popular uh, to be, just for that, to meet her, to get the chance to meet her. He meets her, they get married, and then they're divorced like about nine months later. Hmm. Oh, Show <laughs> uh, this stuff. Had to get to that one. Uh, in, the, in the middle of that, that one woman was t- showing us his Wham album. So you have a Wham album or is a Wham t-shirt? He's got the album. Uh, wow. He's got the album. Wham, hmm. got the Make it. <laughs> Make it big. Make oh, it. Make Lord. it big. Boy, how long they spend on that title? Two or three seconds? Make it big? Really? Aw. But oh. it's good, sad because poor He was a sad guy. Yeah. He was, they ever did go ahead. Careless Whisper. Every time yeah, I watch huge, the video huge of Careless Whisper, huge yeah. it reminds me of a, a love relationship I had, and it kind of really? uh, sort of blew her off. <laughs> and it's that if you watch that video and listen to that story. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Sort of, it's like I still get into tears when I see when I see or hear "Careless Whisper." Really? Yeah. Huh. Okay. Oh, Especially wow. the long version. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's wow. too many jokes there to count, so we're not going to go into any of them. <laughs> but he, it was too yeah. bad that the way that that guy ended because he he actually had a lot of big hits. Uh, what's George Michael? And yeah. um, oh my goodness, yeah, he had a great voice. And, but but he was you know he had his own personal demons, let's say. And um, when he died, his mother was a nurse. And he gave like some astronomical amount of money to the nurses' charity fund of the UK, like two hundred million dollars or something. Left almost all his money to these people his mother used to work for. So he couldn't have been that bad of a guy. But uh, that showbiz. Did you ever meet him, uh, mate, Matt? Did you ever meet Judge uh, Michael Wham? No, who, who? didn't meet anybody in Wham. So unfortunately, <laughs> okay. I met George. There's still time. Okay, you yeah. did one. Really nice one. Did you well, met? It was, uh, I was. I was uh, backstage. We were getting ready to uh, start the loadout, and the loadout was going to commence right after the uh, the uh, encore. One used to be okay. ready. So be you roadie. gather around, and uh, you know, you know, you're going to be not watching the encore. You're going to be backstage, ready to go to work. 
And George Michael was back there for a while, and I just said, "Hi, George." <laughs> he said, "You're just chilling." Like, yeah, you know. Wow. And then he went on and did an encore. It's like awesome. I said, "What did he George say?" Michael, don't look me in the eye. Uh, he had some really sexy tunes <laughs> back in the nineties. <laughs> yes. Yeah, very successful guy. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, let me uh, just. I remember when I worked at a radio station. I used to play Father Figure a lot. Mm-hmm. There was something about it that the, the musical, the musicality of it was really good, really good production. Well, there's a lot of yeah, yep. I mean, just talking real quick about the '60s and the '70s. I mean, we used to you turn on the radio, AM radio, you'd hear the Beatles, the Stones, but then you'd hear Louis Armstrong, you'd hear Motown, you'd hear Herb Albert, you'd hear everything. Frank Sinatra too. Frank Sinatra, everything, that. you know. Yeah. And the FM radio kind of ruined that in a way, in a way, because FM radio. You know, put everything in kind of you know boxes, as they say, and um, you put it in demographic categories. Yeah, yeah, and it just, uh, but it never was at that kind of general. And you got to kind of like everything, which was kind of cool. Uh, so, um, Mark Poulin, what song would you listen to that we'd be embarrassed? Uh, Mister Dyingly Sad. Oh, by uh, the, the, the Critters. By the Critters. Yeah. Right? Oh. Never heard. Of I remember. Yeah. A little, little embarrassed yeah. about that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, weren't they a local band? Weren't they from Salem or someplace? I don't know. Were they local? Teddy oh, and the sure. Pandas. Was Teddy and the Pandas were from yeah, PB, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, huh? Okay, well, that is embarrassing. Give yourself a... Uh, <laughs> there you go. Okay. Yeah. Wow, okay. I like the rim shots. So, it didn't come to me yet. Uh, uh, no, it did not. All right. What, huh. what do you got? Huh. Huh. There's so well, many. Uh, what is your number one favorite song? People would be surprised by that. My number one favorite well, song? Yeah. My number one favorite song, believe it or not, is uh, Disco Inferno by The Tramps. I love that song. Wow. <laughs> See? That's... Matt, you've got to go with me. on here in general. No, no, no. <laughs> that's a great bass line, isn't it, Matt? You know yeah, that song? Boom, boom, boom. I mean, that was... I haven't looked closely, but it is a good song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was good. It was just a good disco song. And, then the, and I know that because it's the when I joined... Um, is it Pandora? What is that? Uh, that music Spotify. service. Spotify. That's the first song I bought, I got, okay? And the second was Crazy Train by Ozzy Osbourne, which is also... <laughs> An excellent song. Um, do you remember B.J. Thomas? Do you remember that guy? Rain sure. drops yeah. are falling yeah. on my yeah. head. Um, but he also sang... Um, um, <laughs> I can't stop this. That, yep. That New York Woman, New York Woman he did, which was really good. And then there was another song called... Um, <clears throat> uh, I, well, he did a bunch of songs, and, and sometimes I listen to those songs. Uh, maybe it's just to bring me back to that time. But um, Wow. That yeah. is surprising. But I also like the I like okay. Ventures songs. My brother used to play Ventures music before the Beatles even came out. And so I like that kind of Outer Limits and the Twilight Zone theme and that kind of stuff. Walk, Don't Run. Walk, Don't Run. I had an album. I had a vinyl album called Play Guitar with the Ventures. Oh, yeah, sure. We had that. Two yeah. record yeah. set, and I, I lost it. I don't know what... Some, I don't know what happened to it. I tried it. It didn't work. It the record and they had the sheet music, but in oh, it, it simplified the sheet music. You could play the lead part, mm-hmm. the bass line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh, I wow. Know, I every the song that they were doing. I remember that. Which was like about four songs that the Right. Yeah. And then we'd actually was, they would play the song without the it. bass. And people say, well, what's the bass? I don't understand. Well, you, you hear a song without the bass, you know what the bass is. You know what I mean? And if you hear a song yeah. without a rhythm guitar, you know what it is. You know, it's just that when they're all put together. 
So uh, time we'll put it all together. Why don't we do this? Why don't we take a quick break now? And we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Macaloni's Mill Tracks, our show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network, all music show tonight. Please stay tuned. My dad, he's a double amputee, and uh, he's one of my favorite people in the world. To me, a hero is someone who fights for our country and freedom. My dad is a hero. All of our troops built this house, and my dad can get through the wide doorways. He can reach anything. Homes for Our Troops builds and donates specially adapted custom homes nationwide for severely injured post-9-11 veterans and enables them to rebuild their lives. Join our mission at hfotusa.org. UFOs are found in Renaissance art, on ancient coins, and etched on cave walls. They're even reported in the Bible. But more surprising is when UFOs are seen the most in times of war. Through centuries, thousands of UFO sightings have been made by high-ranking officials, military pilots, and ordinary soldiers. Often, these fantastic appearances occur at the height of great battles. From World War I to D-Day to Korea, Vietnam, and beyond, military investigators are baffled. Why do UFO sightings spike so drastically during wartime? Could it be mistaken aircraft? Or is someone, or something, looking in on us? In UFOs in wartime, what they didn't want you to know, Mac Maloney chronicles centuries of these incredible sightings and tries to solve the puzzle of why so many UFOs are seen while humanity is at war. Read about the scare ships, the ghost planes, and the ghost rockets, alien giants in the jungles of Vietnam, UFOs controlling our ICBM bases, dogfights with flying saucers during the Gulf War, and more. 300 pages of unbelievable stories, along with many startling photographs. That's UFOs in Wartime, What They Didn't Want You to Know, by Mac Maloney. On sale at your local bookstore or on Amazon.com. Mill Tracks, our show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. Wow, what a show we have for you tonight. An all-musical show. Uh, girls, the very famous Juan Juan is here. Hello. Hello, girls. Hello, everybody. Oops. Glad to be here. Glad, glad to be anywhere. As a of fact. Hey, Chris. <laughs> uh, our good friend Barry sure. Wayling, a.k.a. Jules, uh, is here. Barry, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine, man. Okay. You're killing music, me. Music expert. <laughs> Uh, also in the studio with us is uh, the very lo- 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 very lovely Lois Lane. Wow, a little tongue-tied I get here. tongue-tied when I think of you, my dear. <laughs> Hi, everybody. It's nice to be here for this all-musical extravaganza. And cutting the act for us is uh, Mark Poulin, a.k.a. No Belly Button Man. Hey, how y'all doing? Uh, how you been all week? Why don't you, met, why don't you let the drums do the talking for me? That's all I have to do, right? Oh. <laughs> That's <laughs> what you're getting paid for anyway. <laughs> Also with us is a good friend out there in L.A., Matt Malley. Matt, how you doing? Doing good. Having fun. Mm-hmm. Hello, Matt. Tell us when it stops being fun, then we can wrap the show up. So you have a vi- you you have a video on YouTube where you're doing an Irish song, piano song. 
It's very nice. You you almost have an Irish accent to it. What's the name of that song again? That's called The Hills of Green Moor. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm a folk fanatic of uh, UK, you know, right where Juan is now. The the music of the 60s and 70s, like Fairport Convention and Steel Eye Span, mm. that's my religion, my mm. musical religion. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so I got a piano recently, and I just started playing the songs I love on the piano. So I did a version of, well, uh, I, I did a homage to Steel Eye Span's version of The Hills of Green Moor. It's a 200-year-old song, mm. so, and I put it on YouTube. I rarely put things on YouTube, but I, I put it up there. Mm-hmm. So how long now... Um... You, you're a, a really good bass player. Does that help you in learning how to play the piano? Yeah, I, honestly, the piano came first. I, I was hmm. uh, learning piano in 1970 at seven years old, uh, uh, and I was learning classical music on piano, and I absolutely hated it, hmm. and I quit after a couple of years, and they told me, you're going to regret it, and they were right. I, I should have stayed with it, hmm. uh, but piano was my instrument first. Right, okay, all right. So how long does it take you to put together a song like that? I mean, is it a day or a week, a month? I took a couple of weeks, maybe three weeks, uh, playing it all the time, every day, trying to work it out, because mm-hmm. it, it's arranged for guitar originally, mm-hmm. so, so I've been kind of doing folk arrangements on piano, so thinking of uh, ultimately having a YouTube channel of just folk piano arrangements. Well, that'd be good. Mm. So the reason I ask is, um, you know, we, we see Pond in your house there, and you look, you live in a very cool pad, as it, it looks like in the background there. So tell us a little bit about your house, because it has an interesting previous owner. Yeah, uh, the, the last guy that owned it is a very famous recording engineer who passed away named Bruce Swedeen. And he's engineered Michael Jackson records. He's uh, recorded Barbra Streisand, Paul McCartney. So he had built a freestanding studio building on the property. It's five acres, our property. So about the size of an aircraft carrier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so yeah, so Bruce, uh, he, I, I talked to him once about 10, 12 years ago because he left a plate reverb in the attic of the studio and I asked him if he wanted it. But he told me he couldn't get it out unless we did dem- demolition on the ceiling we could get it down, and I—that I, was the last I talked to him because I'm—I didn't want to pay for demolition of the mm-hmm. house either. You know, so, but I inherited a plate reverb. So the the studio is still there, and did he record Michael Jackson there? Did he mix them, or you know? I think he did mixing in that place. I'm not sure if Michael's ever been there. There's a book he wrote called "Make Mine Music" by Bruce Whedon, and there's a on, on one of the pages it's got him sitting right outside of my studio. With David Hasselhoff of all people. Yes, the Hass- David Hasselhoff. The Hoff. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. So he mixed David Hasselhoff's records. What? David apparently is huge in Austria, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, as a recording artist, and uh, and he recorded his records, I guess, here at my property back in the nineties. Well, huh? Okay, yeah. Well, that's good. And 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 it, people, I've been reading um, just lately, um, you know, books by. Producers and engineers and mixers and and an engineer especially, as it turns out, is very important to how the record turns out. You know, people think of the producer and you can see that, but the sound comes from the engineer. Now I can see that, and um, yeah. especially the Beatles engineers. You know, they've written a couple of books, but now I'm reading this one by Bill. I forget. I, I'm not even sure how you say his name. Bill Sweeten, um, Sweezen. Uh, he did a lot of Toto records. He did Pablo Cruz. He, you know, he, he was back in that era. Um, well, just a lot of anecdotes about, you know, how you know you can argue with the producer, you can argue with the band, you can argue with the song, but the engineering has to be just right. If it doesn't sound good, it's yeah, not going to yeah. go anywhere. You know, yeah. so yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. 
Well, and yeah. what do you think of Michael Jackson, Matt? I mean, what do you think of his music? Well, I've fallen in love with a song of his called Man in the Mirror. And as a recorded piece of music, I think it's one of the greatest things I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and also he invented that whole genre. for Everyone from Justin Timberlake to Beyonce, they have Michael Jackson to thank for, yep. for inventing that. Yes, yes. You know? Right. So, um, that's my opinion. So, I mean, he's, he's just, you know, I mean, a weirdo beyond words. But um, he also did a song when he did Off the Wall with Quincy Jones is a really good album, and there's a lot of kind of innovative stuff in that. And there's um, there's a lot of really good songs in that. Off the Wall is a really good song, you know. And um, um, that was like before he really like hit big, big. You know, he was big, but he wasn't big yet. You know. Yeah. And, and I think that's you know I've listened to that album a few times and really well put together. Quincy Jones, you can you know hear his touch in it and stuff and. Just a lot of lot of um, what we would call harmonies, but it's Michael Jackson just kind of providing his own harmonies and the yipping and stuff, and very well done, you know, really well done. Mm, wow, yeah, is that the one with "Rock with You"? On Rock, it? yeah, that's yeah. a great song. Yeah. Right yeah, yeah, before he hit it, really big. Yeah, yeah, MTV and and really kind of put him over the top. And there's some. Is that the Thriller album we're talking about? No, uh, Off the Wall, the one before. Off the Wall, okay. Yeah. And um, it's Quincy Jones did Thriller as well, didn't he? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, that was his. I mean, they came up not together. Quincy Jones was well known, but Quincy Jones, you know, really that he also hit it big on that stuff. But it became too not dance oriented, but it became too electronic or something. You know, when off the wall, they have everything in there. There's real horns, there's banjos, and you know that kind of stuff. You know, he put that kind of music together and. I know. I think uh, most of Thriller was done on since with a couple, mm-hmm. of, you know. So, and there's a tree on in Neverland where he used to, <clears throat> or so he said, would climb up in the tree and write his songs, you know. And they, would, I'm sure, to him too, they'd say, "Hey, we need a new single, whatever." And he'd go up this tree and come up with the songs and come up with the harmonies and stuff. And and um, someone figured out that he wrote more than a billion dollars worth of music sitting on that tree. You know, too bad he wasn't a normal guy, you know what I mean? Too bad he just couldn't have been a good guy and not a freak. Uh, he'd be like Smokey Robinson or someone. He'd be revered, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's okay to be a little weird, but to be a a, a child molester, if yeah. that's true at all, that's a, that's actually a monster. Yeah, you know? that, and he's, mm-hmm. yeah, and that was like the beginning of it, too. Not the beginning of it, that's really bad, but he was just like a strange guy, you know? And, yeah. and uh, I'm going to, I don't mean to jump in, but that actually cries out for i think a normal li- a normal childhood yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck yes. way and mm-hmm. i wonder who he would have been with an if he had had a normal childhood yeah right there maybe some normal friends in the business that uh right wasn't yep. just out to hang on with him and this uh, you know take advantage get money advantage. from the guy mm-hmm. by you know just like Pr- prince seems to be in the same boat as far as uh not having the right acquaintances, the people helping him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, he had people that were hurting him, not helping him. And Michael Jackson, I think, was in the same boat. Well, his father, yeah, Michael Jackson's father is, you know, he's the he's the one that you know is is responsible for a lot of that because, you know, he treated those kids. I mean, the Jackson Five, you know, he, they were basically stage kids from, you know, when they were little kids, and they made it. You know what I mean? And that's the thing is that they actually made it, which just made the monster even. Even kind of worse. It's the same as um, 
Murray Wilson and the Beach Boys. You know, that guy was a real great a prick, man. But he created the Beach Boys. I mean, you know, it's 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 kind of strange how sometimes that happens. But and look at Brian Wilson. You know, he's a mess. Yeah. So there's a documentary on Netflix about uh, Robbie Williams. Do you know about that at all? Have you seen that? Yeah, Robbie no, he, he's no, I don't. He's in he's in the UK, right? He's a UK singer. Yeah, he was okay. huge in the UK and just didn't make it in America. And it's this was just, a, okay. the late '90s up until about 2010. And he would sell out stadiums by himself. He started off in Take That, the boy band from the UK. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. And then Robbie left and became a superstar. And he's very authentic as a character, as a personality. And he's talking about how he he didn't know who his best friends are and, and why are they his friends and who, who does he trust. Mm-hmm. And so that's the first uh, mind screw, you know, of that kind of fame. Mm-hmm. You start to feel alone, I guess. You know. Yeah, yeah. Especially when you start young, too. That's another thing, you know. I mean, look at Britney yeah. Spears, for instance. You know, she went nuts after 10 years, and she started as a kid. Yeah. You know, it, right. it's, it's As you say, Matt, it's not what you think it is. Yeah, I'm, I'm just a, a bass player in a 90s major label band. I'm not even anywhere near the level of, the, of superstardom, but I got a taste of what the machine does and what they do to you. Mm-hmm. They... they put you on the road and make you work, you know, mm-hmm. and it's fun again, it's fun for about three months, but the 10 years after that suck. <laughs> Counting Crows oh. achieved some fantastic success when, when my mixtape had job. Counting Crows, uh, Jane's Addiction, Allison Chains, mm-hmm. Nine, inch, Jen, Nine Inch Nails, Nirvana, uh, yeah. Yep. You know, it mixed in with that. I'm going, hey, Mr. Jones, I could listen to that song all day long. You mm. probably got sick of playing it. <laughs> I Thanks loved it. it. Yeah, it's a good song, and that first record's a good record. So is the that second. That was a good record. I listen to that yeah. record a lot. I listen yeah. to that. I have that on Spotify, too. And so when that comes on, I always listen to it, and I always remember you saying, play the bass behind the beat. And and I can hear that, and I, I, I almost understand that now. Um, yes. But it makes the sound. It makes the song like groovier, you know. It makes it gives it a little more yeah. swing or something, you know. If you're just a little bit behind, and and yeah, the great bass parts are all behind the drums. They're just almost late with the drums. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Mm-hmm. It's funny. And but when you listen to it, it isn't like you're doing it. It's like that's the way the song goes. So uh, that's another thing we. I just want to throw out. So, uh, sorry, um, YouTube video on. Um, I think his name is Teddy Tedesco. He was one of the. Wrecking Crew. He was a guitar player for the Wrecking Crew. I, I hope I said his name right, but his son has a film out, and now they've broken it up into YouTube segments. And the Wrecking Crew was interesting for the people who don't know. Is like in the early '60s, there were bands like um, well, we're talking about the Association, the Beach Boys, and um, Sonny and Cher, and everybody. Where if they might be a band, but the the record company was like. We're not going to waste money on these garage players playing these songs. Bring them in, and the wrecking crew was this bunch of session musicians, and they would come up with a song like that. Mm-hmm. The whole sound of the Beach Boys is is the wrecking crew is basically Carol Kay on bass. You know, that's that's kind of like bass the Beach the Beach Boys sound. You know, so yeah. do you? So and 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 Hal Blaine, who was the drummer, um, yeah. you know, someone said. You know, I, I, I realized when I met Hal Blaine, he was like, you know, all of my top ten drummers, you know. He he would play different styles and so on. Um, but the monkeys are the ones that someone went 
tagged along to a monkey session, and the wrecking crew was playing the music. At that point, the secret was out. So my question is, Matt, I'm going to throw to you first. Is that was that wrong? Was that for them not to say that other people were playing the music? Is that right? Well, wrong? It, it was a different era, you know. It was before uh, bands became bands, where you really, uh, in fact, it was before the singer songwriter era, that where the songwriter people, the artists wrote their own songs. The, mm. the early '60s was before that, like you say, the Brill Building and Carol Carol King and James Taylor and. Uh, you know, Neil Diamond, they, they would write songs for people so they could go out and sing their songs. And all the songwriters got rich mm. and all the artists got famous. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's and funny. then all of a sudden you got Jim Jim Croce, James Taylor, actually, uh, you know, Cat Stevens. All, all this, Around mm. 1970, everyone started, all the artists started to write their own songs. Yeah, yeah, sure. It, yeah, yeah. But the people like the Wrecking Crew were from an era where uh, you know, these guys can play this music way better than the band. Right, and quicker and, and cheaper. And get it done, yeah, get it done quicker and cheaper because studio time is money. So they'd go in and knock it out. That's why they were they called the Wrecking Crew. And, uh, and and the songs were completely awesome. They were always awesome. <laughs> and it sounded different. So you take this same band now, and they do all the Beach Boy songs, okay, which in the Beach yeah. Boys you see them play live and they're not that bad, bad but, you know, this is where they kind of get their sound. This The same band plays Magatha Park, literally yeah. the same band of people. <laughs> That's how good they were, you know. And yeah. someone said, they said, you don't go in there just because these guys can play it. You go in there because they'll put the song together for you. Like they, they'll arrange the song for you, which is, you yeah. know, also they'll very important. they architect your sound. The, the architect is the word, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Glenn Campbell was part of the wrecking Glenn crew. Glenn Campbell, yeah. 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 He's yeah. a great guitar player. And uh, Captain, yeah. the captain of Captain Tenille, Sonny and Cher, they were there all the time singing on stuff. Huh. And, I love that documentary where uh, the bass player, was his name, Carol? Carol Kay, yeah. Or, how or, she had dreamed up that opening bass line for uh, Glenn Campbell. Was it Lyman of the County? Um, Wichita, Wichita Lyman, Lyman yep. Mm-hmm. Wichita Lyman, yeah. Boom, 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 boom. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's also one of the great songs of all time. Those songs, those those Jimmy Webb songs. We saw Jimmy Webb in concert once, mm-hmm. Lois and I. That guy is the most. He has the most terrible voice. To to go on stage with that voice is takes a lot of balls, man. A lot of really good. But he songs, had good stories. Good stories in between. He yeah. can't sing worth shit, man. He's and we met him afterwards. He's a, kind of a, a funny guy from the south texas kind of you know funny guy he was he was good but he was a little quirky but man those songs wichita lyman by the time i get the feet oh. no he didn't write that one um uh he had two or three of them up galveston another great song just song. and and he was such a great guitar player too but i'm going to so barry you're the you're the uh you're the conscience here one of them yes. is it is it is it with with the monkeys wrong for not letting people know that they didn't pay their play their instruments no, I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with what Matt said. I think going back then, I don't know how much was expected of them. I mean, people weren't purists like they are now. Remember how upset we all got over Millie Vanilli? Because yes. by the time you get to that point, more is expected. Mm-hmm. Whereas back when the monkeys did what they did, I don't think much I don't think that much was expected. I don't really think anybody cared until uh, they they were starting to announce a tour, 
mm-hmm. with uh, Jimi Hendrix uh, supporting the tour. The open for them. And put that ticket together. We knew Wait, that Mickey Jimmy Dolan Hendrix played something. For the monkeys? We yeah. knew that he yeah. was a, a songwriter. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, God damn it! Wrote a song for him to Ronstadt and the Stone Ponies, I believe. Yes. Yep. I oh, saw that's them. Mike, that's actually Mike different, Nesmith. Different drum, right? Am yes. I right about that? Yeah. Mike Nesmith. Mike Nesmith. Oh, Mike Nesmith. Sorry, Mike Nesmith. He he was legit. Yeah, he was a songwriter before they joined, yeah. I saw them yeah. in concert. I told you that. They opened for The Doors. I saw The Doors in 1969 or 70 at the old Beacon Theater in Boston. <clears throat> and The Doors weren't that good. They weren't that good, I got to tell you. And everyone was there to hear them play Light My Fire and, you know. But anyway, but the opening act was Stone Pony. I think was the first hit. Uh, yeah, that was and, and maybe they were thrown out on the road. I don't know, but. Stone Ponies opened from when Linda Ronstadt with the two guys from the Eagles were her guitar players, and she had that different drum song. But she came out; she was very angelic, and you know, sang like four or five songs. Then she's gone. You know, a year later, you know, she's like a big star, becoming a big star. So that uh, gave me goosebumps. I bought a lot of her records and just playing them, just looking at the album cover. <laughs> oh, really? oh, yeah. Huh? Okay, one. Yeah. Yeah. I'd have to yeah. say that some of her covers, I mean, her covers are right up there with the originals, some of her covers. Oh, you're talking and about that's the... saying a lot. No one can, hardly anyone can pull something like that off. I thought you were talking about the photo on the cover of her album. You're talking about something else? Me? Okay. All right, here's another question. I'm going to throw this out. Ever sold. True or false? Lois, you'll be interested in this. Rod Stewart's <laughs> wife is a cop. Yeah. <laughs> wow. His current, his current wife? Yeah, his current wife is a cop. Hmm. She's a policewoman hmm. in their little, um, wherever they live. Uh, and it had her in uh, online, you know, in like the Daily Mirror or something, Juan. But I get it on my news feed, and she's got some guy on the ground. She's coughing him. Hmm. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. Well, you'd find it in the Daily Mirror or the Daily Mail. Yeah, one of those, yeah, one of those, yeah. yeah. What an odd thing, you know. Uh, anyway. Like, you know, Harrison Ford is an actual rescue helicopter pilot, so imagine being rescued by Harrison Ford. Yeah, oh, is that what he does? Yeah, really. Hmm. Yeah, he's done that. yeah, that would be weird, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. What's his name? David Lee Roth was an EMT for a long time, and yeah. in, in, I think right. in New York City. Uh, his father was a doctor, and I don't know, he was an EMT for a while. So there's that... Uh, Picking this out of here, there's going to be this uh, tour next summer of, um, yeah. you know, like it's kind of like a Van Halen kind of reunion or something like that but without those guys. And I think Sammy and David David Lee Roth, right? Th- that's uh, uh, whether they agree to it, yep. But it's also um, yeah. Joe Satriani, who's this like way, way out guitar player. <clears throat> Michael Anthony, the bass player of Van Halen, and they wanted – Jason Bonham, who's bon- uh, John Bonham's son, who's also a really good drummer. Excellent drummer. Um, yeah. yeah this, that, that's a huge – in fact, my brother got tickets for it. It's, it's like in Austin. Is that, yeah, he's 2024. Already, he's, yeah, he's already he's got the tickets. So it's, that's going to be a big tour. Where are they going to be? At the, at the uh, Orpheum? At or ju- what, the Wang? At the um, – yeah, no, the, the thing that used to be, uh, you know, down – what is it? Twitter Center. It's down the Twitter Center. It used oh. to be Great Woods. So anyway, uh, okay. So Did you mean the Tweeter Center? I don't know. <laughs> and now the it's tweet, called X. Tweeter's been gone for so long. 
Okay. Oh, Twitter. Twitter, Twitter. <laughs> Great Woods. All right, I'm going to I'm going to put this to Still Barry. There. I call it Great Woods all the time. It's to go to, yeah, everyone take the kids to the WBCN River Raves down there. Oh, it's a oh, great wow. place. <clears throat> we went in oh, there yeah, once. So 90s bands. I saw Primus down there. We went in there. Oh, I can't stand those guys. We went in there once. Uh, Patrick Moraz, who's a friend of ours, friend of Matt's, um, got us tickets to a Yes show at Great Woods. Now, it, uh, if you can imagine, Matt and, and Barry, it's a big, it's an outdoor place probably sits i don't know ten thousand, and then you sit on the lawn it's it's the big place mm, to go nice. it's a cool place. yeah it's a pretty good menu so we go there and at the time i wasn't smoking pot but i said well we have to kind of enjoy ourselves so why don't we just we're going to go in the press pot i shouldn't tell this story i don't think but um <laughs> we're going to in the press pot and we'll just bring Somebody else is going to lose their passport because they heard this with back okay there you go they never say never so we said we'll just get a bunch of nips of jack daniels and i had a pair of cargo pants so i just like put them down my pockets and stuff right so we go and it's my friend mike and his friend red and Red and I are going to, Mike is the driver, so we think we're just going to waltz in with our press pass. Well, they're, they're frisking the press. This is how this place is, right? We're going, what are we going to do? So we just drank it. You know, we just like drank the eight little nips of Jack Daniels. And then we went in and we are like, and then we go backstage, you know, and they have food and more booze there, mm-hmm. which we don't need. And, um, but the funny part about this is, so I'm just like drunk the whole time. You know the story. Oh, she's looking at me like. Well, um, I have no idea Lois, what you're talking Lois about. Lois, she's got that look saying, "I haven't heard this story before." Mm. You'll remember this it. This is new. No. You'll remember this it. Is I wasn't there this for a little bit, so I'm going to work myself out of this. I think that hole. I only heard parts. No, here we go. So there's a lot of really funny plots about this story, but anyway, at the end of the show, at the end of the show, because Patrick gave us four passes, and we only used three of them, so. I'm thinking, uh, wouldn't it be good if I can give this pass to somebody and they can go backstage ahead of meet and greet, you know, after the show type thing? So I see this guy coming along in a wheelchair. Someone's pushing him in a wheelchair. He's got a yes, you know, shirt on, and he's been to the yes show, so he's been. So I just go up to the guy, and I am loaded, loaded. And I said, listen, I don't know if they're going to let both of you in, but here's a press pass. Maybe you can get in to see the band with this guy. He had uh, ALS. So, and then that was it. I just leave them in the crowd. And and two, and I go in. And we go in. And, um, you know, we meet the band and so on. I look at the ramp, and here comes the guy in the wheelchair. And his friend pushed him. They let him in. He comes around and comes to the front door, and it's on a ramp. And who comes out with John Anderson, okay? And this guy is like seeing God for this guy. He, he freaks out. But when they did it, they put the wheelchair up in the ramp, and it went right on my toe. You, you remember this one? <laughs> and it stayed there for like five minutes because this guy, you know, he was like, and I'm saying, I'm not going to break this up, right? And, and they're moving the wheelchair back and forth, and it's like crush. Oh. Anyway. John Anderson was a, he was a nice guy to this guy. This guy was... You know, had seen better days, let's say, but he was just really enthralled. And that was when I met Alan White, and I figured I have one question to ask him. So I said, what was – because he played with John Lennon. I said, what was John Lennon like? And he said, "Can I, in one word, what was John Lennon like? And he says, can I use two words? 
I said, yeah. He said, my hero. Mm. That was yeah. funny. Oh, that's nice. not funny. Oh, I'm sorry. What are you playing it for? <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah, that was a moment. So. Any emotional. Was, plas- was the Plastic Ono Band one of Alan White's best gigs? Mm. I really mm. liked I really liked the Plastic Ono Band. Yeah, they were good. They made good records. Yeah. Mm. Without the Ono. Live, mm. That live in Toronto? <laughs> live, live in Toronto, Toronto yeah. Did yeah. have that album? He just vinyl. saw him playing somewhere, and Alan White, and John Lennon liked the way he played. And so he would he played on all you know a lot of John Lennon um, you know um, just John Lennon songs solo songs, and then all of a sudden he's playing with Yes, where you have to yeah. really play to a huge you know a stadium rock you know what I mean, which is kind of different you know. So he he got he got he really good song structures too. Because yeah. Bill Bruford was the drummer, and everyone just admired him, you know, and he was a great jazz drummer, great drummer for that band but Alan like White it. was a different kind of drum but he really kind of grew into it and he, he played a lot of synthesizer on those songs too as it turns out alright let's see what do we have the magic list here you said you were going to ask Barry something oh I was going to ask Barry okay here we go Barry is Brian Wilson a genius wow wow um I call him more of a savant well, how about this? Savants are also geniuses. So I don't I can't imagine what it's like to produce that kind of music with everything he's gone through, plus through one ear. So, yeah, he's a genius. Hmm. All right. What do you mean one ear? He he's deaf in one ear. ear. Deaf in one ear. Hmm. Huh. I didn't know that. Hey, Matt, what do you I say? I didn't know that either. I'm going to go around the on the, in this one. Matt. Is he a genius? Brian Wilson? Yes. But I but I agree with uh, Barry there. Um he's a genius. I mean he he's a genius because he wrote songs with chords that wrapped around like a pretzel mm. and yet sounded simple. Mm-hmm. And that he's a genius to do that. Mm-hmm. And the harmonies are supposedly you heard the harmonies in his head, and you know so on. You know, uh, oh. Oh. I, I, I think that I think that you know Pet Sounds. Pet Sounds is always they always say, well, you know, Sgt. Pepper is based on Pet Sounds. They heard Pet Sounds and it was so good that they wanted to. If you hear Pet Sounds, it's 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 okay. It's not it's not this great groundbreaking thing. It has two good songs on it, two or three. But there's some filler in there too, you know. So I don't know. And they throw that whole thing around. Brian Wilson's a genius. He's great. He's really, really good. Really good. And he and he wrote marketable songs that everyone knew. And anytime you hear the Beach Boys, you know it's them. And that's the most important thing, you know. Yeah, he's a genius. I don't know. Huh. Yeah, comparing Sergeant Pepper to Pet Sounds to me, like you say, Pet Sounds has a lot of filler. Sergeant Pepper has no filler. In fact, nothing in the Beatles catalog is filler. Really not. There's no- there's no mediocre moments anywhere, yeah. and uh, that's why no one compares to them. You know. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna go ask one on the same thing. So, are, are you a Beach Boy guy? We've never talked to Beach Boys before. I, you I always like the Beach Boys. Yeah, really? yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were pre-Beatles. It was interesting, and they had some. That's right. Really, you I know, like this. I like their Hot Rod era. I like the Surf era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. like those themes. Mm-hmm. But they changed too, you uh, know what I mean? Cars, you can't knock that. 
right? Right. Just, yeah, and they right, laid yeah. it out for you yes. in such a way that it just said, take me there. Do I have to go to California for this? No, I can find it right here in Massachusetts. You want to block your ears on for a second? Sure. In the biz, they call it tits and tires songs. Oh, here we go. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> I right, really didn't hear that. That's good. <laughs> okay. Get back up to tape. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. The drummer. <laughs> I didn't hear that either. Wow. Okay. okay. All right. <clears throat> so, okay. Really, um, the, the, the Beach Boys established a whole lifestyle around their music. Right. See, that's what they did. Right. They you know, party with the Beach Boys, surf with the Beach Boys. You're in California. Rock with the Beach Boys. Yeah. And when when well, you're sitting in like cold old Boston with and it's the raining, boys, this isn't going to be fun. Yes, right. I mean, yeah, fun, they're fun. fun the fun, fun band. There's yeah. a song right there. You see them now, and there's like 19 people on stage with them. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah, they have like 11 guitar players, and it's really kind of crazy. And the whole situation between him, uh, Brian Wilson and the rest of them is really odd. You know, like you know, suing each other and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm going to ask one more question. I'm going to ask it to everybody's suing each other. I think that's the thing to do. Hall and Oates. Daryl Hall is su- suing John Oates. I just read that the other day. He has a restraining order against him. Yeah. Yep. Jeez. And I have I I, oh, I read John Oates's book. Uh, Lois bought me. She says I know you like Daryl Hall because of that uh, Daryl's House, which is a really good show. And um, show. and so she bought me. Uh, you thought it was Daryl's book, but it was it was John Oates's book. Remember that? Huh? No. Yes. Right. I mean, I did buy it for you, but. I knew it wasn't Daryl. So no, no one yes. So, but he's yeah. a really interesting guy, John Oates, you know. And um, but I could see how they're different people. They they were never really songwriting partners. They were business partners because a record label wanted to put together an album called Hall and Oates, as if you're carrying Oates, Hall and Oates. Get it? And uh, you know they just basically record their own songs. They get a little bit more popular, pop, and then MTV hits, and bang, they're everywhere. You know, they're everywhere as those stars. And, yeah, they were business partners, you know. And I can see why they'd be at each other's throats. But, one uh, I'm going to just ask you something, okay, and then we're going to get right. into the – who do you think are better musicians, the Beatles or the Rolling Stones? Ooh, mm. this might be fighting words. Better musicians? Yikes. Uh, I, I kind of lean towards the Rolling Stones because of the – when I talk about musicians, I'm talking about the two guitar players. Uh-huh. Um, I think uh, the Rolling Stones had had a good history of having good guitar players. In addition to Keith Richards, who is my man, yes, they had uh, Mick Taylor, who I thought was uh, one of the best guitar players around, uh-huh. let alone as a member of the Rolling Stones. His didn't really fit but, in. Though. Uh, didn't fit in. Brief but awesome career. Yep, right. Yeah, but but an odd guy out in the in the in the band, if you know what I mean. Odd, odd guy. Yeah, odd guy out too. Whenever you listen to an album that Mick Taylor is in, it's wicked good. It's all guitar. It's all this like kind of lead guitar stuff, and I mean, they're not really he a could lead. Weave guitar. With Keith Richards all day long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, but I think down. the ancient art of weaving, they had it down pat. Yeah. I, I, and, and so does he and Ronnie Lane have, have it too. You know, I mean, it's Ronnie, 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 Ronnie Wood. Yeah. I mean. They're basically yeah. two lead rhythm guitars in that band, right? Yes. They're two kind of rhythm guitars that kind of interact. And, and I know it takes a lot to know how to, when to do that, not, you know, like on the spur of the moment or whatever. So listen, 
one one though. Hackney Diamonds. You like the album? You've done a deep dive I like into the album, it. Hackney Diamonds. I've heard but like let two me songs. But Hackney. Go ahead. Is that um, the album as a whole, I really like. I like a lot. There's certain parts of it that make me not be totally in love with Hackney Diamonds. And there's a couple of uh, what I call low moments. Uh, but for the most part, I really, really like the album. And it, it starts off with a bang. And, and and what's cool about the record is that now Daryl Daryl Jones wasn't around for the sessions on this. He was out, out doing his own gig. Everybody and their brothers playing bass on this record. Uh, it was produced by um, uh, Andrew Watt, who I never heard of the guy. But he's a musician in his own right, a very good one. He's worked with a, a lot of good artists. Andrew Watt really got these, got the stones in the studio, no horsing around. Was This wasn't going to be one of these things. I mean, they, they had... They had a schedule, and they stuck to it, and they really wanted to get this record out and do something good with it, not just to throw out some crap, but to really put it together. And this guy, Andrew Watt, put it together. Hmm. And he had, uh, if you look at the lineup with a cast of thousands, they don't need added people. I didn't, that's why I didn't look like the, uh, the, that second single that they came out with. What was it called? Uh, uh, Sweet, Sounds of, Sweet Sounds from Heaven. Oh, okay. With uh, Lady Gaga. Oh, and, well, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Wonder, that's because she's keyboards. on it, and he's on it, yeah. You know, she's okay, but I don't think I don't the, think they needed it. They, yeah, but they, they had to make it relevant. Them. You know what I mean? They had to make it relevant and get some... Bring in the something team. like that. I mean, I mean, they, they started off introducing the record with the their lead single was Angry. Yes, right, yeah. And he went, wow, this is a really kick-butt song that's a good way of starting a rolling stones album which is typical for them is start it with a kick butt balls to the wall song and then <laughs> the video that goes with it with the uh, showcasing the uh the attributes of sydney sweeney yeah was uh to die for i could watch that video all day long but that's just me <laughs> <laughs> you know? oh you start off. You start off with rockers, angry, and uh, get close. Now, get close was featuring Elton John, but you wouldn't know Elton John was in there. I don't know. Uh, just let me just interrupt you for a second, Mike. Do you want us to move the symbol a little closer to you? Or? No, that's fine. That's fine. It's what I do. <laughs> wow. If Bob the Ghost was here, he's probably left by now, right? So you're watching Maybe this. Maybe that's what's happening. Maybe he's that's it. You're scaring him away. He's interfering with the drum. So, so. so <laughs> I got to listen to the whole thing. I heard the two hits. Listen to the whole thing. Yeah, in I order. heard the McCartney one, the one that McCartney's on. And did you say yeah, Elton John's on it that's too? The, yeah, uh, Elton track John's. Before huh. uh-huh. bite my head off, he's got Paul McCartney on bass. He's got like this fuzz tone bass thing going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's got a good middle part where it's it's just him. Oh really? Yeah, they gave that to him. Yeah, like the think for yourself type bass. It's it's excellent. Bite my head off is a good rocker, good hardcore. Hmm. I mean. There's a lot of rockers in this record. There's only, there's only two soft tunes, mm-hmm. and uh, Dreamy Skies is one. Uh, ben Montench is uh, guest starring on the from the uh, in Oregon. Tom Petty it's and the nice Heartbreakers. Yeah, mm. it reminds yeah. me a little bit of uh, No Expectations. That song. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Ben Montench is a, is excellent as as everybody knows, and yeah. then. Uh, Live by the sword. Bill Wyman's playing on this one. Oh wow! Huh? 
Great bass player. Yeah. Matt, do you agree? Bill Wyman, great. Yeah, definitely. He played yeah, some great. stuff on oh, man. It's sometimes a little bit in the background, but someone once said, listen to the bass in satisfaction. All, everything that's mm-hmm. going on in satisfaction, listen to the bass in it. It's it drives the song. It's crazy, but it really does. Go ahead, Wayne. And, and I always enjoyed watching those old uh, 60s videos of the Rolling Stones playing, mm. whether it be at Ed Sullivan's show or some live joint someplace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, Bill Wyman's got it so upright. It's like an upright like bass. Hardly moving. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. He's just playing his ass off, but hardly moving. Yeah. It's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, he was cool. He's a cool cat. He's on a guy. showboat like Matt. <laughs> yeah, right. There you go. Wow. Now now the drum is working as it turns off. Matt, what kind of guitar? What Did you have one bass the whole time or did you have different basses? Well, I had a handful only. I didn't have like 20 or 30, but uh, in Counting Crows, I played a Fender Jazz bass, which is an all around kind of workhorse. Yeah, the J bass. Yep. Yeah, J. And a P bass, a Fender P bass. So mm-hmm. that, that, those were it. You know, um, I played a couple of older ones, uh, an SG bass, which looks like an SG guitar. It's a little oh, rough. yeah. Yeah, I had a 60s SG bass later on. That was the last bass I played in the band. That's a rear, isn't that kind of rear, an SG bass? Yeah, it is. And, and it's a very limited tone. It's a very tired, kind of uh, worn tone. Uh, a lot like McCartney's uh, Hofner bass. Mm-hmm. Uh, even less lively than that because a Hofner is a hollow body, so it resonates a little better. Right. So this is a, it's a fully electric, uh, you know, solid body bass, and and it has exactly one tone. But I liked it at the end there. Right. How about Rickenbackers and stuff like that? I mean, the Rickenbacker bass was big, but they don't really uh, not around that much anymore. I read. No, they're a one-trick pony. You know, they have a really good clank to them. If you're Chris Squire or Getty mm-hmm. Lee, yep, a Ricken bass. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Yes. But, but it's had sound again, you know, a, a, a Rick. It, it sounds great. Mm-hmm. But, and every bass player should probably have a Rick in their collection. I don't at the moment, but because uh, it's a, it's a, it does what it does really well. Right, sure. Um, talking about the Beatles, uh, they said that uh, McCartney was quoted as saying that George Harrison was not at 75% of the sessions of Sgt. Pepper. Well, okay. I didn't know that. He also said what what he was doing at the time. Does anyone know what he was doing? No. Do you know? Mowing the lawn at Friar Park. Close, close. He was uh, building a swimming pool. Ah, yeah. (laughs) Lois, would you move the cymbal a little bit closer to mine? I'll give him him longer drumsticks. (laughs) Yeah, I like what I I mean, those are back in the days where you you really couldn't mail it in. You had to be there to do your stuff. Now, you Maybe you didn't have to be there simultaneously with everybody, but it, it it usually worked a lot better. I thought that the White Album was where everybody was taking a powder. I think there was all, up. yeah, there's all kind of their own solo albums in a way. You know, and I think Sgt. Pepper. Sgt. Pepper, yeah. they were really collaborating. I think it was McCartney and Lennon. George Cuthie. Martin wanted it that way. Yeah, they made the symphonic piece. That's what it's like. It was like two people writing a symphonic piece that has a lot of different chapters and stuff, and then they would bring them in to play when they were going to play, you know? I mean, it was the first of that kind of Steely Dan way of doing an album, you know, mm. where you bring the people in and play. So, um, yeah. hmm, Steely wow. Dan, that's a band I can listen to all day long. Yeah, 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 they're good. Yeah, they have a lot of really good guys on there. Just saw a video of Larry Carlton playing Kid Chalamet. 
at some jazz club okay. in New York. He's great. He's really, really good, you know. And he says he gets paid a lot to go to L.A. and just put rhythm guitar on a lot of a lot of songs. I heard Steve Lukather of Toto say the same thing. He goes, rhythm makes it, rhythm makes the world go around. He says, you wouldn't believe the people I've played rhythm guitar for because they can't play rhythm. And I think it means like Eric Clapton or someone, you know? Mm-hmm. So we yeah, you think that rhythm guitar is what you do when you can't play lead, but that's very, very important. It's, it's like Keith Richard. Let me take out a Keith Richardism here. A Richardism is a, you know, a, a solo, solos come and go, but a riff lasts forever. Lasts forever, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great. All right, so I those gotta, riffs, you can listen to a, a Keith Richards riff. Right. And it really has some substance and some, it's not complex. It just has a, a harmony within itself. I don't care if it, it's open G, drop D. Mm-hmm. I don't care what it is, but he makes it sound like him. it's really special. Yeah, him. Yeah, You yeah. put a lot of thought into it. You, you always yeah. know it's him. You always know it's the Stones. You know, yeah. I mean, that's the key right. is if on the first yeah. note, if they know who you are, you, you've made it. You know, I right, saw so the Hackney Diamonds with headphones. Oh, is it really good? And you can you can really hear the weaving. And I, I wanted to say before I wrapped up my critique of Hackney Diamonds is that I haven't heard Ronnie Ron Wood sound so good as I as I've heard in uh, this record. There's been yeah, albums yeah. where Ron Wood is a uh, I don't know in the background kind of mailing it in. Yes, he's sober you know, he's now. He's good. He's good, but he's he's been better. Mm-hmm. And this one, uh, he's been way better. He's he's been really work working it out. Mm. And I'm happy for him. Right he's, the, he's the young one of the band. He's only 76. 76, yeah. Mm-hmm. He has twins right. like about uh, four years old. Don't forget, Keith Richards' birthday is coming up. He's going to be 80. 18. 80. Keith. Yeah. 80. 80. 80. <laughs> um, wow. All right, have a, before we take a uh, quick break, last break of the show, we uh, have a few fun facts. Ready? All Lois, right. you'll like these. Uh, will I? Okay, Are we? should we get the drummer? Cued yes. Up. <clears throat> Can you reach the symbol there, my friend? There you go. Oh, that was on target. <laughs> he was falling forward when that happened. Yeah, yeah. Right. That helps. Crash out the whole thing. Okay, here we go. Literally. These are just fun facts. They're just like weird to me. Okay, you know Don Felder, who was the guitar player for the Eagles, right? And and yeah, read his book, Heaven and Hell. Man, oh man. Matt, you talk about what's it like to be in a band, the bad side of it. This guy, holy cow, just really bad, yeah. just bad, just a bad vibe. Yeah. It's too bad. Okay, he worked in a guitar shop, in a record shop in um, in Florida someplace, Jacksonville, Florida. A guy walks in and says, hey, listen, you teach me how to play the guitar? He says, well, we really don't do that here. He says, come on, I'll give you like 10 bucks an hour. He says, okay, the guy's Tom Petty. Ah. <laughs> wow! True. No symbol there. Sorry. No, because it wasn't funny. It's true. Yeah, it was wasn't fun. It wasn't worthy of a. Symbol. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't worthy of a symbol crash. A oh. Symbol worthy. Oh. <laughs> symbol worthy. <laughs> this is okay. Seinfeld. Oh, this iron, there. is, is it ironic? Is it irony in there? I think it's going to be irony. What, what that is. It's not really. Ha, I think ha, it's coincidental. Later on, he's playing in a band in um, Daytona Beach. And he's, he's on the bill. It's one of these bands, college uh, places where they play all day, all night. And um, the guys in front of them, uh, they got to be good friends with them. And they would go, and their mother was also in Daytona Beach, and they'd feed them and everything. The name of the band was the Almond Joys, and it was the Almond Brothers. Uh-huh. 
Go. Yeah. Really? Almond Brothers, yeah. Nice. Gusto. Okay, here's the... That's me, a fun fact. Okay, ready for this? You ever seen the Almond Brothers? I saw them, I saw them at... Um, uh, what was that huge, huge festival after um, Woodstock? Uh, Watkins Glen. I saw them at Watkins Glen. The first tour they did with um, Chuck Lavelle after, uh, you know, uh, what's his name died. They they were really jazzed up. They were great. They were just really, really good. His piano added a lot to it. Um, okay, uh, let's see. Right, now this is the cra- this is one of the crazy ones. First of all. Um, I, 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 this isn't even true or false, but true or false, Joe Pecci <laughs> and Jimi Hendrix played in the same band. Joe Pesci oh and Jimi oh Hendrix played in the same band. It's weird enough to be true, but it's it's true. So oh. bizarre. It's yeah. true. And the was and the when, uh, Jimi Hendrix was uh, a session guy. Nope, Joey D and the Starlight is. They oh, had the Peppermint oh, Twist. Great. And Felix Papalotti was the organ player in it. So oh, Jimi Hendrix played Felix. in it, then he left, and then Joe Pesci took his place as the guitar oh, player in that. Can you imagine that? Ooh. How crazy is that? Felix Papalotti of Mountain fame. Mm. No, uh, no, I mean, uh, 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 no, the guy from... Um, oh, Felix Cavallari. Cavallari, yeah, yeah, for the Rascals. Yeah, yeah okay. Right. It's Felix Papalotti. Okay. I know, I was going to say, it all on. This is Sippy Queen. Okay, uh, let's that see. That was a good band, but that, we only know Mississippi Queen. That's the only song. Oh, yeah, that was one of the and, and you know who Waddy Wachell is? The guitar, he's yeah. a session guy. Yeah. He was um what's his name's neighbor? You just the, the Mississippi Queen guy, the big guy. Felix Papalotti. Yeah. Uh, no, no, who's the uh, guitar player? Leslie West. Uh Leslie, Leslie West. Yeah, Leslie my West. brother would kill me. My brother loved wasn't it Nantucket Sleigh Ride? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. My brother loved that album. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um who got Ronnie Ron Wood hooked? Ronnie Lane hooked on Coke. Ronnie Lane? What band? Who's Ronnie Lane? Who's Ronnie Lane? When he was in in the Faces? No, Ronnie Wood. Ron Wood. Ron Wood. Sorry. Okay. He was in the Faces, too. Too. He was in the Faces. Yeah, they both were in the Faces. Faces was a great band. Yeah, they were really good. They used to do, they used to take the standing room only money, buy beer, and invite the audience back to their hotel room with them with beer, and they'd, like, destroy the freaking hotel. Those <laughs> uh, days. Okay. Um, the people who got him Rod hooked Stewart on... didn't take part in that, did he? Oh, I'm sure he did. The guys who got him hooked on Coke was the band America. He stayed at what? a mansion in L.A. with, Amer- of all people, oh, America. Wow. And he got him hooked <laughs> Okay. All right. Only a couple more, then we're going to take a quick break. Right, this one is the strangest to me. Uh, oh, the second strangest. When after Simon and Garfunkel, well, after Simon and Garfunkel really made it big, they actually broke up for a little while. That they didn't tell people about. When Paul Simon moved to London. This is true. This is after the Sounds of Silence came out, and he was in a rooming house and he was playing his songs for people around London, and he had a flatmate who used to play the songs back and forth to him. And it was Al Stewart. Oh, wow. Oh, oh wow. really? Yeah. You're the cat man. Yeah, what a strange oh, wow. combination, you know? <laughs> what do you say? That's not funny? <laughs> wow, the drama. Yeah, the drum roll's supposed to be for funny things. These are just yeah. fascinating things. Okay, all right, all right. In, in, I mean, they are fascinating. A, okay, I can What's try the a sound for fascinating? Thing for fascinating. Ooh, that's... <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, here's the last one. Ready? We're going to take a well-deserved break. Rick James... Rick James, yeah. 
Okay, everyone knows yes. who Rick James is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure we do. Okay, so he had a couple hits, and then he was going to get drafted into the Vietnam War. So he fled. He went to Canada on a bus. He arrived in Montreal Station like at 3 a.m., and two guys immediately stopped beating him up. Okay, and he saved by two guys, two guys from the band, like Rick Danko and Goth Hudson were walking along, and they saved him from getting his ass beaten. Oh, wow. I mean, how strange is that? Oh, wow. And then he was in a, Rick James was in a band with Neil Young called the Minor Birds before Neil Young moved to LA. What a combination! I mean, really. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Rick James. That is very interesting. He's no longer no with rim us. No rim shot. That is very he's, interesting. Uh, the rim shot, the drum is on uh, strike here. There okay. Is. Wow. <laughs> That's really interesting. Holy cow. How funny. Hey, Mike, you know what they call people hanging around with musicians? Who? What? There you go. A drummer. <laughs> All right, listen. Oh. Why don't we take a <laughs> Why don't we take Listen. I got my own device here. Listen. Uh. Uh, there we go. <laughs> Why don't we take a uh, commercial break now? And um, we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Macaloni's Miltrax, our show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. Please stay tuned. Hawk Hunter, the wingman, has finally rid the world of its worst ever supervillain, Victor Robotov. But in Mac Maloney's latest book, War of Dragons, we learn the maniacal terrorist ghost still haunts our battered, devastated planet. In War of Dragons, book 22 in Mac's best-selling wingman series, Hawk and his united American allies uncover Victor's bizarre plot from beyond the grave. The super terrorist hid six nuclear bombs around the Mediterranean before he died, knowing their detonation will empty out the Great Sea and cause a worldwide catastrophe. Guarding these weapons of mass destruction, he's left behind a family of ferocious air dragons, eternal aerial sentinels that will stop at nothing to protect their late master's unthinkable secrets. Sailing aboard their gigantic aircraft carrier, the USS USA, Hawk and the United Americans must battle their way across the Mediterranean, slaying these dragons in hopes of beating Victor's allies to the nuke's secret locations before time runs out. If not, then the world will face a very nasty, very watery Armageddon. It's Game of Thrones meets Top Gun in Wingman 22, War of Dragons by Matt Maloney. On sale now on Amazon. Welcome back, everyone, to Mac Maloney's Milk Truck Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. And this is Mac Maloney Wow's all music show we've had for you tonight. Got a few seconds left. Let me just introduce the gang here. Juan Juan's here. Juani. Hello, Mac. His microphone. How's it going? Pretty quiet. Right? Is, it worth, <laughs> is it worth staying up late for this? <laughs> I could be up all night talking about music. There you go. Yeah. Good to hear. Okay. Also, Barry Winnick. Up there in another okay. part of New, New Hampshire, is it is 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 it worth staying awake for you, Barry? It's uh, five past eight. Are oh, you going to start? There. Yeah, it's worth staying up. Okay. <laughs> Matt Malley, a friend out there in L.A., you're up early. Yeah, I just woke up. Five o'clock. 
Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. I forgot about the time change. Yeah. That's all right. Okay. Where I am, it's already tomorrow. There you go. Yeah. Right. Oh, wow. We're talking about the future. Good line, yeah. Good line for a song. <laughs> Can you tell us who won at Suffolk Downs <laughs> yesterday, today? Oh, anyway. The Beatles. Suffolk Downs. Suffolk yeah. Downs, yeah. It's an old reference. I saw the Beatles there. Mark saw the Beatles at the at Suffolk Downs. Can you believe that? He did, man. Yep. 66. 66, wow. the last tour. Uh, anyway, wow. so we're talking about all music tonight. Also, <laughs> You only introduced one. And you forgot about us. Wait a minute. Eh, okay. That's okay. <laughs> We're here supporting the team. Who did I introduce? Who else did the I introduce? The three of them. Okay. All right. I was us? I was getting around to you. Wow. No, wow. No. Wait. no. Wasn't he ready to change the subject? No. Wow. <laughs> Holy cow. A lover's spat. No. This this means only two cookies tonight and not three. I'm yeah. sorry, Doreen. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of a, I'm thinking of a Devo line. Also with that whip. Oh, oh wow, wow. That's a good one. Good. The drummer comes awake. That deserved the whole symbol. Also in the studio with us is Lois Lane. Lois, thanks for joining us tonight. Mm-hmm. Glad to be here. Wow, huh? And also a good friend, Mark Poulin, on the drums. Mark. Yeah. Wow, that's slick. Mark used to play John Lennon in a Beatles wow. band. Yes, I They're do. really good. Help. The help. name of them was Help. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I missed yes. that. You saw them, Barry. Did you ever see them, Barry? I did see them. They were excellent. Yeah, they're really we, good. We, I've mentioned this to Mark. I knew how big fans they were based on what they selected to play. Yes. I don't think yeah. I'd ever heard a Beatles band play some other guy. Yes. That's right. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. Cool. We did that. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. fun. That was a good one. Yeah. Yeah, very good. And we used to see them a lot at Hampton Beach. Matt, you know, of Hampton Beach, at an, at an outside uh, venue. They had an outside amphitheater shell, there. Yeah, shell, yeah. like a shell. And it would happen every single time we'd go see them. They'd play one song and this, you know, this rush of, rush of little kids. Little kids oh, would yeah. be up front yeah. and they'd be dancing just <laughs> automatically. It was And it happened every time. Mm-hmm. And some of them knew the songs and stuff. It was really... Really eye-opening, you know, and, and you knew that it was just going to go on for oh, yeah. uh, generations. So anyway, have I introduced everyone, Lois? You have. Okay, thank Nicely you. Nicely done. Cool. There you go. Thank you. Wow. That means not too much. We have a Sorry. few minutes left, and we, we, we have to talk about the new Beatles song, Now and Then. And I'm going to throw I'll throw it to Barry first, okay? And I'm going to go last. Barry, go ahead, right. please. Now and Then, we should say as a... As a Demo tape that John Lennon made in the 70s. Yeah. It was revitalized. His voice was on um, AI. Ringo and Paul put instruments on it. George had put instruments on it years ago. And they wrapped it up in this bow uh, now and then and put it as part of the promotional piece for the remasters of the Red and Blue albums. Mm-hmm. So please, Barry, your opinion. All right. So... I was torn. I did not want them to do this. I was familiar with the the fuzz on the uh, John Lennon piece, and I felt like it was this really, really intimate song. And so I did not want them messing with it. But then after listening to it for a while, and probably too many times, and taking it from McCartney's angle... I started to understand why he wanted to do it. And for what it is, 
all right? It's not the Beatles, but it's very, very sweet. And it's guys helping out a friend. And that's what I take it for. Matt? I've heard the song exactly once. Mm. And everyone, including Barry just now, everyone who says they've heard it multiple times, it starts to grow on them. So I've got to hear it some more. But I was not impressed. I was impressed with John Lennon, as usual, for the song itself. But both Paul and Ringo were just kind of... um, they just played mediocre through the whole thing. Ringo was just hitting a snare like pounding nails, hmm. and I was missing his swingy fills and things, and I was not impressed. But as I say that, I'm going to hear it ten more times, and then I'll have maybe a different opinion. Wow, interesting. Go ahead, Wani. Well, I've never heard a Beatles song where I had to listen to it ten, ten times to get into it. And uh, Mac encouraged me to listen to Now and Then. I have it, I have it here, and I was... I'm going. All right, you know, it's it's mellow John Lennon. I always liked him that way too. And I thought it was a patchwork of. I, I didn't see the AI part of it. I didn't really. I I know what AI is, and mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't really get the AI component in, in this song. But you're right, Matt. The the drumming was like. Yeah, he was on it, but he wasn't. He was mailing it in. <laughs> he had to be, wow. or he had to be like, you know, I got to be here, but I don't give a rat's. Okay. Hey, Mark. Mark's a huge like Beatles fan. Go ahead, put it right at you. Yeah, I, I think I would have to hear it a few more times too. And uh, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure that John wouldn't have wanted that released. Would not have wanted it released. Yeah, yeah. would not. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well, that's all I got. Lois. Oh. Oh. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so when I first heard it, I felt the way I felt about the Rolling Stones song when I first heard their new song, that mm. not impressed, as Matt said. Um, but when I watched it, the official video, and listened to the song, I liked it more. Um, but... I'm not sure it holds up with a lot of their other songs. Mm-hmm. So, but I've only listened to it maybe four times. So okay. So Mac, what did you think of it? <laughs> yes, Mac, what did you think of it? See, I felt the same way when I first heard it, as everyone is saying. That it's like, oh man, and 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 I said this is going to be a mistake because uh, Freebird and. Um, that free, uh, uh, what is it? Yeah, it's uh, Real Love. Um, free as a bird. Free as a bird and Real Love. They're good songs. They turned out. Yeah. I thought they turned out really well. Jeff Lynne, I thought, did a great job on those songs, considering what they had to work with them. But you knew that this has been hanging around for twenty years. Harrison did not want to work on it. He called it rubbish, and you know. But now they put it out as some kind of a promotional thing. I said this is going all wrong, and I don't like Gills Martin. I think he just happens to be. George Martin's son. And um, they also, the love thing in Las Vegas, I thought, they said this is the greatest Beatle album coming out. And it was just, it, it was just, it was, well, what happened? The thing oh, came out. Yeah. The, uh, oh. That thing, yeah. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Technical Bob the ghost. <laughs> okay. So anyway, so that's how I felt. But then I listened to it a bunch of times. And I know this sounds crazy, but I think it's in one of the 
I think it's one of their top 25 songs. And no just way. listen to it. Because I can remember going back and listening to, like, for instance, the first time I heard Dan the Life, I remember thinking, oh, they've blown it now. No one's going to listen to this. This is terrible, you know? Three days later, you can't wait for it to get on the radio again. You can't wait for the song to come out. Same thing with Day Tripper and and Paperback Rider, you know? First time. Think of listening to Paperback Rider the first time. It's like all over the place. It's crazy. But what, then you listen to it, and you can't stop thinking about it and, and repeating it. The Beatles it. have more songs where if you listen to one chord, you know the song, whether it's the beginning it's or the end. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. listen to Hard Day's Night, you hear that... 12 string and you know what it is yep at the end of day in the life you hear that was it how many pianos was it they yeah. played that one chord at three the or end. four yes yep and you know what it was yes you didn't, you didn't even have to hear the song you knew what it was yeah 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 you can tell by one chord that's funny yeah that's right but that's how i feel about it and i'll tell you why i like it i, I don't know the, the the lyrics are very very simple obviously he was just singing almost what came to his mind in a way because you know it's true. I'm in love with you. It's it's like, you know, you can't get more trite than that. But, and I agree with Lois. When you see what what changed me is when I saw the official video and the way that the video was shot and the way that it's presented is that it's almost like Lennon was writing this song to the two surviving Beatles that hey, you know, we're going to get through our lives because we remember you. And they and it's very effective the way they do it. In those some really corny parts in the video. And and then when you listen to it, you listen to the middle part, which I think Jeff Lynn, you know, arranged, and he used parts of Elmer Rigby in it and stuff. I can't really hear it. I think that the kind of um, the slide guitar that McCartney plays and Harrison style, I think it should be a little louder. But I I, I, I like it. I think just the way it's put together, um, I think it's in the top twenty-five. I know that sounds blasphemous, but just listen to it more, maybe, and and see if you agree okay, with me. I'll just listen more. to it a bunch of times and see the video. Watch the video. Yeah. Okay. This has been a paid advertisement by Apple Records. <laughs> wow, the drummer. All right. Okay. Listen. Well, we're clapping. Let's clap for the drummer. Okay. Mike, hey, Mike, cool, no belly button man. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Uh, let's see. Barry, thanks for joining us, Barry. You're welcome. Did you have You're a good welcome. time? I had an excellent time, mm -hmm. and I'd be willing to talk music again. Uh, my big thing is yes. everyone should have, like, five passions. Music is going to be my top passion yes. forever. Yeah. Aww. Me too. Same me too. Me. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, we all know what we I do for a living, but Lois once said to me, how come all your heroes are musicians? I right? said that? Oh, mm, that's that's right. a good question. Well, we are probably drunk one night. No, no, just me, not you. Sorry. Oh, you, Lois. No. Not me. Anyway, so uh, thank you, you back for joining us. from the Copa, but, you know, not you, Lois. Not you mean the Coma. Anyway. Coma. <laughs> thank you. Coma. I'm thinking of disco. I'm thinking of Barry Manilow. Oh, the co oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Barry Manilow, I'm begging you. I love Barry Manilow. I'm a huge oh. Barry Manilow fan. Ba we should have said that. that. We should have said yeah, yeah. He wrote some good songs. Save that for the next show. Yep. We it, can talk about yeah. Barry Manilow. No. He, he, he's one you of those guys. Be, you so should grow up, by the way, being Barry. Yes, really? Barry Manilow. In the era of Manilow? You know, if I was in a band back in when he was really, really big, I would have, I would have wanted to sing Mandy. Really? Oh. Yeah, huh? You want to get yeah, your ass kicked, I, I believe it. So it's a good thing you did. I'd be weeping halfway through it. <laughs> then you really would have got... And this is, 
I met this yes. vet tech in my town whose name is Mandy. <laughs> yeah. And she, I said, Uh-oh. let me see. You know, she's a young girl. I said, let me let me guess. Were you named after the song? Yes. She wow. Huh. I love she that admitted song. it. I love that song and I love you. Oh, okay. All right. He's talking to the world there, folks. Oh, boy. Okay, the drummer, hang on. I'm pleading with the drummer to do something. I know. I was sleeping. There you go. Not that the show is over. He's just so entertained. He doesn't realize that he has a job to do. Matt Malley, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. A great, great session here. Did you have a good time? I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad you participated. Had a blast. where, where, Where can people find... What you do? I, I don't really do much of anything, but I do have a YouTube channel with like four videos on it. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to look up Matt Malley, you know, uh, my, my folk song I'm proud of. It has It's viral with 500 views at the moment. Yeah, oh, cool. Ooh. But you play that all yeah. in one take, which is very impressive. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, and I honestly, I got a pat on the back by a couple of real Fairporters, uh, guys from Fairport Commission, including Richard Thompson. Wow. Really? A, Wow. Yeah, I sent Richard an email with a link, and he's wow. an acquaintance of mine. I've re- recorded with him before, and he said that's a fine version. And I, I, I was made my year. Mm. Richard Thompson is considered one of the greatest guitarists of you know. You don't hear his name very much over here, but he's yeah. he's considered one of the greatest guitarists ever. You know, in the rock world, right? He's under the radar, but I've, I've been a fanatic since I was about twenty years old. You know, mm-hmm. he's he he invented Fairport Convention first of all, which is like my mm-hmm. religion. You know, so he, he's a hero of mine, and he gave me a thumbs up. You know, I mean, not not on the video, but as an email return, he said that's a fine rendition of of that. Old wow, song. that's great, man. Mm-hmm. That's that's a great compliment. Yeah. That's a great yeah, compliment yeah, but, from a really good yeah. musician. Super duper. Well, thanks for joining us tonight, Matt. We Thank appreciate you. it. For having me. Okay. We're gonna clap for you. <laughs> we will sweeten it up. Thank you very much. Okay, let me take care of uh, the people in the studio. <laughs> well, he's now ready. He's, to say, he's ready. That was a visual. Mike Poulin, thanks for joining us, Mike. Thank you for having me. Thanks for. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> wow, huh? Okay, okay. <laughs> Who's driving, Lois? Thankfully, oh. I. Am. I yes. so. <laughs> Lois, thanks for joining us, Lois. Oh, you're welcome. It was my a, pleasure. And was... you have a very busy schedule. Thanks for taking the time. I am happy to make time to talk music or listen to you talk about music. It was very well, all of you. Yes, you know? I okay. didn't really, except for Wham. What did I say? Wham. That's the next show. Wham. Wham. <laughs> you, you hit one of my buttons, Lois. Well, there you go. That's can why you, I'm here. Wow. Can you talk for six hours about Wham? <laughs> yes. We'll, we'll yes. do a, a Barry Manilow. <laughs> As a, it turns out, a Barry Manilow and Wham expose next time. Really? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. Really fascinating. I'll turn the mics on for you and let you have it. How's that? <laughs> Anyway, uh, thanks very much, uh, everyone out there joining us. Thank you, Juan Juan, for joining us. Juan. You're welcome. Are you going to go see the Stones? They're going to tour again. Talk about the Velvet Underground. Oh, come on. Talk about overrated. One of the things we didn't get into here is uh, the most overrated band, underrated band. Most overrated band, not not the most, but among the most overrated bands ever. And Steve Miller, same thing. Steve Miller. Never got it. Come on. Not a big Steve Miller. Not a big Steve Miller. Anyway, that's the next show. Thank you for okay, joining good. us. Thank you, everyone. preview. Everyone out there, uh, listen to us, for joining us for the music show. And this is Mac for the entire gang. Until you hear us again, be safe, be happy, and bye bye.